Powers, co-host of the Higher Points Podcast, here with... Nate Hyatt, the other co-host of Higher Points Podcast. And we're here with Nate's parents, Bob and Sarah, and we just want to say thanks for joining us. We appreciate you guys being here. Glad to do it. Um, so just kind of, we always usually just kind of start in the beginning as far as just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of starting what if, whatever you're comfortable with sharing. I guess Bob will start with you and just as far as like going childhood, you know, maybe uh, moving into, you know, meeting your wife, having kids, all that good stuff. How much time do we have? As long as we want. That's the beauty of the podcast. We could be here till tomorrow morning if you want. Well, um, I am Bob Hyatt, and I was born in Manhattan, Kansas, and moved a lot of different places throughout my life, but luckily ended up in the Hutchison-Nickerson area, where I met my lovely wife, Sarah, and um, you know we've lived here for, wow. Forever. Um, yeah. We started dating when she was a freshman in high school, and I was a junior, and have endured for almost 30 years now. We have three... There are a lot of synonyms you could have chosen other than endured, (laughs) and you went with endured? Well, but we have three kids. I mean, you realize that she's in here, right? And I I wasn't enduring her. She was enduring me. Oh, oh, likely story. Now that I pointed it out, okay, gotcha. gotcha. So you endured for pointing that out. Endured for thirty years. I'm just trying to help you out. I'm just trying to like. I'm just trying to give you the opportunity to save yourself because she's going to rolodex that for later. Well, you know, I'm used to that. (laughs) After thirty years, you get used to some things. Yeah. Um, But uh, we uh, we had three great kids and. well, two and a half. <laughs> and uh, it's just been fun. You know, I, I don't regret anything we've done. Cool. Yep. Good way to live life. You know, there, there's definitely a lot worse ways. Yeah. Yep. That's nice to know. <laughs> <laughs> so not only are we learning about you and everyone else, she's learning too. Well, <laughs> she should have known already. <laughs> She's also endured you for 30 years. Well, that, that's what I meant when I said endured. I wasn't the one enduring. She's put up your ass for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I grew up here in Reno County, Nickerson. Bob and I actually lived two miles from my childhood home. Um, had a different type of childhood. Um, we had foster kids in the household. Um, I was adopted. I've got two older adopted sisters. And then um, we've got uh, my parents also have two biological sisters or or kids. So there were five of us. But then with foster kids, at one point in time, there were 13 kids living in the house. Oh, wow. So it was a little bit different, a little bit unconventional um, and kind of chaotic. So grew up um, south of Nickerson. Went to Nickerson High School, met, met Bob. I went to K-State um, for four years, graduated with a degree in human development um, and family studies. And then when we moved back here, I worked for tech um, for a little while. Um, and then when we had kids, um, two of them actually, I worked part-time at tech for a little bit and then um, decided to be a stay-at-home mom for a while. So stayed at home with the kiddos when they were really little. And, um, went back to work when 
Lauren was born and was the director of an after-school program um, in Nickerson called Kid Crossing. And then once um, the kids all made it into school full-time, I worked at Nickerson High School as a financial secretary, worked for the district office of Nickerson for a year as accounts payable, and I've been working at Sterling College for uh, well, a little stint now in financial aid, so... Um, She's always been there to keep an eye on us. That's right. I just kind of <laughs> keep us out of trouble. Particularly one of them. I was going to say. I don't. I don't know how much of, the, of this equation is in us, but <laughs> yeah. keep us yeah. in mind. So that's kind of my story. So yeah. when it comes to your the college choice of your human development degree, did that some of that stem from your, you know, uh, growing up in the, what you termed as an unconventional home or? Uh, yeah. What made you choose that? Yeah. Well, K-State, first of all, was first choice because that's where my parents both went, met, and um, human development. You know, I was looking into social work, took a couple social work classes, but then I took a human development class and actually fell in love with the study of that, that study. Um, so I actually even have my master's degree in human development as well. I got it online through a college out in California. Um called Pacific Oak. So I just enjoy studying human development. Cool. Well, we never really did talk, Bob, much about like what, uh, what, what do you do for work? Um, I am in the oil and fuel industry. I've been in it for my whole career. I started uh, with Ramsey Oil in 1992 and I worked with them through 2015 and then uh, made the switch to Bridgman Oil in 2015 to present day. Okay. And what do you do for them? Uh, now I'm in sales. When I started, I was a, a delivery driver. I used to drive the, the fuel truck to make farm deliveries and, and um, you know, just to different industries throughout the, the state. Hmm. Well, uh, I know I'm asking all the questions here, but these are things like you pretty much know the answer to. So, sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> but, um, so like uh, I, I too have three children and I've always heard like that the studies are never have like odd numbers of children because it's like, you know, two of them are always getting along and then there's always one that's like fighting or vice versa. And it's kind of like tough to parent three kids, which personally I align with. It's tough to parent three kids. So I just curious of like, um, you know, w- when it came to like like parenting your kids. Uh, just like some of your philosophies or things are like, did you guys have differing philosophies on things that you guys had to come together on or because it's always interesting to me that I noticed with my kids is that, you know, you try something with kid one and that may not work with kid two or three. And you kind of really have to start like tweaking what you're doing to like fit that kiddo because, you know, one may respond to like, if you get a bad grade, I'm going to take this away. Where's the other? And, like my son, Alex is like, okay, like, I don't care. So you have to do something else. So like, what are some of your like parenting things or things you remember or some aha moments through, through parenting three kids? So for me, um, one of the things growing up, I didn't mention this, but my mom and dad were divorced, uh, when I was pretty young. And so one of the philosophies I took in it was one is I'm going to get married and stay married. And two, I'm going to be there for my kids through everything, you know, um, for as far as coaching goes, you know, I coached Nate and Andrew and Lauren, you know, when they first started, you know, getting into sports and, uh, I was just there in that way throughout their lives. I feel like, uh, sometimes too much, (laughs) 
but it, you know, it's a parent thing and, you know, you, you always just want your, your kid to strive to be the best at whatever they're doing. And so that's something that I tried to push on to them, which sometimes backfired, but right. You know, you live in learn. I think if you're not making mistakes as a parent, you're probably not learning much, or at least you're not willing to maybe acknowledge some of the mistakes that you're making. If you're, you're not, not making parenting. mistakes, you're probably not parenting really well. Yeah, right, right. So that that was that was kind of my philosophy. But to be honest with you, Sarah did most of the real parenting. You know, I just kind of stood behind her and and you know told them to get in line if they weren't getting in line. <laughs> Swung the or stick. Or tried to. Yeah, that also sounds very familiar from my house. Yeah. Well, he had more of an authoritarian type of parenting view, and I was not so much. You know, even to this day, we still kind of, he still kind of butt heads on that. He's like, if I say it, they better do it type of thing. And I'm more the, let's work around and manipulate them to see it the way we want it. It's messed up. Play <laughs> mind games. As Nate's over there, like, having nom flashbacks, like... <laughs> Oh, that's why they did that. <laughs> and now we know why Nate uses CBD. <laughs> the PTSD he got out of all this. I think it's a matter of learning and trying to teach the kids, you know, when they were growing up, how to how to make better choices and do better things. I mean, we were not a spanking household. Um, that doesn't mean that it never happened, but for the most part, it was timeout. And Nate knew when he did something wrong. I mean, he'd go put himself in timeout sometimes. <laughs> no way. Did you really? Yep. You just like practicing for when you got into college? Like, <laughs> that's why she had to come keep an eye on you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this timeout thing has a whole nother, nother level, too. We, do it, tell. Do tell. Um, so Nate and Cade, uh, I don't know if you guys have introduced Cade in this. I don't think so. Cade we haven't Hover. talked about Cade yet. Well, Nate and Kate are pretty good buddies, and they've been buddies since before school started because they were in, what was it? You might be better at telling the story. Oh, well, Kate's mom, Carla, and I were best friends or have been best friends since we were children. And so Nate and Kate are the same age, and so it was just natural that we got together, and Nate and Kate became pretty good buddies. Well, they both went to the same preschool together. Um, Nate lasted a semester (laughs) because... Because honestly, we were paying to put him in timeout every day. I mean, him and Cade, they were, they were. Why well, you turn it so red, man? We didn't uh, go back to school together until high school or middle school. Yeah, which is probably good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was one point Cade and his family literally lived across the street from Nickerson Grade School, and he still went to South Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because of because of not wanting to go to school with you, or what? Because they wouldn't let me and Kate go to school together. No, that's not why. <laughs> Kate had been going to school in South Edge. But Interesting how there's two viewpoints of that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they were just, they've just always been honoring together. So, but. Not so. always in an unhealthy way, though. Yeah. No, but talking about three kids and the challenges of parenting, you know, we had one child who we call the instigator, um, <clears throat> who is sitting in this room with us and that's kind of his nickname because he was always the one that well he still is you've seen him instigate me tonight and you know like to ruffle feathers he does always has do you see that in the weight room no because usually i'm the one doing that to him (laughs) well that's good honestly that's Good. good you know but and then so he's he's athletic and um wanting to 
go out and be involved in things, you know, more sports, physical type of stuff. Andrew's a totally different person. He likes the video games, doesn't care about that physical contact. You know, Nate loved football. He played, I always said he played football on the basketball court too, because he was a big boy and that's what he did, you know? I don't know how many games, it would be easier to count how many games he made it to the end of than he didn't. Yeah. So he, he, he did definitely take that football mentality to the basketball court and that doesn't go well usually. That explains what you said in the first podcast that you, uh, always seem to be better at football than you were at basketball because you were practicing football year round. You I got, weren't actually going to a basketball I got kicked season. out of more uh, basketball games than I did football games in high school. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And fouled out. Yeah. So but and then Lauren, you know, she's the only girl and the youngest. And so I mean they were all they all just had different personalities and and um how you do parent each of them is a little bit different. So definitely so. Did you find that anything with your degrees helped with any of that stuff at all? Um, I would like to think that it did, but you know, sometimes when you're in knee deep in parenting and those decisions happen so quickly, you look back on it and say, man, I should have done this different. Oh yeah. You know, so, um, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time apologizing to my kids. Like what if I, if I messed up, like if I was righteously wrong mm-hmm. or messed up or called somebody down when I found out later it was one of the other kiddos or something, you know? You know, in the heat of the moment, when you talk about the knee deep in parenting of like, my bad, you know, I messed yeah. up, I'm not perfect yeah. and I'm not expecting you to be either. either. Yeah. Yeah. There is definitely no textbook to this stuff. And, you know, there, even if there it was, was, I think it'd be so like big, right. you wouldn't read it. Yeah. It'd be so large. I think Sarah got a book about parenting when, when we first started having kids and oh, yeah. it was, uh, you're pretty much a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they parented the crap out of me and then kind of quit when it came to Lauren. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, I would say we, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, if I remember correctly. Yep. Because the only person that wasn't present was Lauren, if I remember correctly. Yep. When she's not again, she's in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so what made you all, like, I guess, kind of transition into, you know, you, you have your normal, like, eight to five, Monday through Friday type jobs, you know, parenting kiddos. And I imagine at least um, some semblance of, you know, relative comfort to make the the plunge into like starting a CBD business, making that decision and, you know, owning your own business and, and kind of, I guess, changing everything up. And so there's a there's a lot of answers to that question, I guess, you know, because there's a lot of things that that kind of inspired us to go that way. And one of them was Nate graduating and wanting to get into agriculture, uh, which, you know, as we all know, it's not a uh, easy road to get into agriculture from scratch. So we were trying to think of a way to get agriculture into his life. And um, one of the things we thought about was hemp. Um, and, you know, it may, may not be the big agriculture you're looking at, but it's still a form of agriculture. Uh, the other thing is, is with Sarah and her story, which um, she, I'm sure she'll talk about a little bit. Um, that was pretty inspirational for us when it came to making the decision to get into the hemp hemp growing. Um, and, you know, at my age, uh, we're always, you know, at least I have always been wanting to try something uh as far as owning my own business goes, uh, 
and we just never really pulled the trigger on anything. And this seemed to make the most sense. And quite honestly, uh, once we're here, it's great, but we weren't expecting to be in the retail side of the CBD business. You know, we were just wanting to farm it, sell it, and, and be done with it. But the forces of, of the market have kind of pushed us in into the retail side of things. And gotcha. In 2019, like the first year, like when we started growing, we could have, so like, the numbers where you could make like 200,000 an acre as a farmer, just wholesaling your oil and then the market crashed. And so then we're, yeah. Legalization happened that year, uh, for 2019 grow and the market just got flooded. Just record numbers of acres and people farming. And so basically you had an increase in supply while demand pretty much either remained the same or maybe even went down. Yeah. Especially when COVID hit. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we had our hemp over in Colorado to be processed that first year when COVID hit. And that just kind of, I mean, that just really messed everything up. Basically, the facility was at shut down <clears throat> because cash flow issues and they had too much stuff stockpiled. And so our stuff sat out there for like three or four months in a warehouse. And actually, that stuff still kind of, our 2019 growth is still in a warehouse in limbo. So, Man, so what did that what did that all do for you as far as like, uh, I mean, I know everything about businesses, obviously like pivoting, Those know, are but, but it's easier to pivot when you're Walmart right. versus when y'all are. So at that business. point, at that point we're in so deep, you know, you've got to, you've got to keep going at least the way I saw it, keep going to, to try to recruit some of the, the losses from the previous year. And, and we could see where, we could start growing it cheaper than we did the year before. And and so that was kind of the idea with the second year grow. And at that point in time, we started really thinking about, you know, opening or branding ourselves and, and really thought more along the lines of an online store versus uh, brick and mortar. So you talk about branding yourself. Did So when you, um, I don't want to take away from what you're going to say, but like as far as when you, um, started supplementing CBD, was that CBD that you all had grown or was it something else, someone else's? It was you... someone else's. Okay. Yeah. I had tried, I had tried, um, multiple different brands of CBD before, um, we got our product line out. I've, I've been using CBD for, I don't know, four or five years. One big brand that you did use was Pure Spectrum, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a pretty brand. awesome brand. I mean, they're on the forefront for CBD and like they're sponsoring like Olympics. U.S. Olympic team and powerlifters and UFC fighters, they're really trying to push into the athletic side of things, and so they're they're an awesome company to follow. And the uh, owner of that company is actually from Ulysses, Kansas. Yep, Southwest Kansas. Huh. So and these you, you guys have met him, right? You guys mm-hmm. went out there and went to their headquarters, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So you want to tell a little bit about your story as far as like why. You did that if that's something you're comfortable with? Sure, sure. So when the kids were all in high school and and younger, I started um, not feeling well. And um, I would have problems walking. My joints would ache. Um, Just at different times, I couldn't even wash my own hair or pick up a coffee pot. I hurt so bad. Um, Went to multiple different rheumatologists. here in Hutchinson, Wichita, I went up to um, Mayo Clinic, um, 
settled on a rheumatologist at KU Med Center that I really, really liked. Well, in the process of all those different doctors that I'd gone to, I've also been on, um, I don't know, a handful of different types of medications for an autoimmune arthritis. I tell people it's rheumatoid arthritis because um, it's easy. To, people understand rheumatoid arthritis. They don't understand what I have. I mean, it's an undifferentiated. Um, I had symptoms for lupus, scleroderma, rheumatoid arthritis, um, and so that's why it's called undifferentiated. Anyway, um, after being to all these doctors and trying all these medicines, I was on pain pills. I was on nerve pain pills. I was on, um, I ha- I mean, I had a pill box that I would fill every morning and every night and just take handfuls of drugs and nothing was making me feel better. And even taking shots. And taking shots. I was giving myself shots, you know, and um, nothing was working to the point that I felt like I was having a a good life. We even cashed in some of his retirement to take a family vacation because I thought I was going to be disabled and um, not be able to do that anymore. And um, that was my senior year when we did that, right? I think so. It was my senior year of high school. So 2014 is when we would have done that. Yeah. And um, so, I I mean, we had a friend who um, talked to me about CBD and, um, you know, just said, give it a try. Well, I dabbled in it for a little while. Because Were you kind of reluctant in the fir- in the beginning? Yeah. Just because. Maybe- yeah. Um, yeah, I was because, you know, there's a lot of um, stigma, stigma out there about CBD and it being a cannabis product and, um, you know, the legality of it. And I grew up in the age where you just say no to drugs. And, you know, that's where my brain was. Um, but when you're desperate you know, and you feel like you're going to be disabled and not going to be able to have a life, you do what you do. And so, um, one of the side effects from the shots that she was taking was she was getting, um, abscesses on inside her chest. Goodness Uh, gracious. Yeah. And and it would take months or at least a month of intravenous antibiotics to get over that. I had, so, yeah, I would have to get off my rheumatoid arthritis medicine to get to take IV antibiotics for six weeks, and they put me back on, and then a year later, another one came back. And that's you know? when it was like, yeah, you, you've got to do something. We're done, you know. And so the last time I got one of those, um, I just got off all of my medications. I just kind of went cold turkey. And um, when I say all, that included my levothyroxine for my thyroid everything. I didn't talk to a doctor about doing it. I just did it. And I really upped my dose of CBD at that time. Um, and it worked for me. I went back to my rheumatologist and he asked me what I'd been doing. And I told him and his response was, I can't tell you that CBD is what is helping you, but I am going to tell you not to quit. You know, and and doctors, they can't tell you. There's, I mean, there's not a lot of studies out there and doctors' hands are somewhat tied um, if, you know, it's not legal in the state that, and back then it was not, you know. So anyway, but yeah, now I'm on no medications. I take CBD twice a day. Some days I don't take it at all. Just kind of depends on how I feel. Well, I think the important piece of the equation is, is that, you know, 
rather than just uh you know like like you tried everything i mean like you tried multiple different doctors multiple different facilities multiple different medications and treatment plans and everything before you kind of settled on that it wasn't just like a um, like I was telling Nate in the last podcast, like some, some people will try to sell it as the modern day snake oil where rub it on your cancer, your cancer goes away kind of thing. And, you know, um, but you know, you, you talked about how, um, uh, you tried a bunch of the common, you know, therapeutic doses of medications and then those didn't work. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to keep beating my head against the wall. So I'll try something different. Mm-hmm. But there was something else you were mentioning before the show that you wanted to talk about when it came to your choice to make that choice. Yeah, I think it's really important. And one thing that I really stress with people when trying CBD or thinking about trying CBD is that they educate themselves on it and that they are responsible for that education. And it's important to talk to your doctors about it. Um, You know, it is still an upcoming industry and there are a lot of studies still being done on the benefits of CBD um so i think it's important before you just quit all your medications and jump on cbd and there's there's not a lot of regulation on cbd and what can go in it and so there's a lot of stuff that's not clean like you need to know where your cbd is coming from because there's no stipulation regulation that says you can't have this many heavy metals pesticides this and that in it so if someone's making it at their farm and they're not checking for that stuff, then you could be ingesting all that stuff and you could be getting sick and this and that. And you're then it's going to ruin CBD for you in the future because you're, you're getting sick from it. Is that kind of what like was your guys's business model as far as like, cause your, your slogan, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, is from, from seed to sale, right? I mean, like yeah. you guys have, we know it because we grow it. Yeah. We know it cause we grow right. it. That, uh, so yeah, that's part of it. Um, and you know, another thing that that's kind of been going on in this industry I don't know if it's real widespread. I don't know uh, any of the numbers on that. I just have heard about it uh, was not getting it dosed properly. You know, you buy a thousand milligram tincture, you know, doesn't have a thousand milligram. Yeah, right. You know, Um, so that's something we work really hard at is trying to make sure that it's a clean product, that you're getting what you're paying for and um, the at least some expertise to go along with it, you know, just because we've been around it, we've, we've studied a lot. We, we know a lot of the benefits that, that can come along with it. And what I was going to add to, you know, as far as educating yourself goes, there's a lot of good books out there that you can get. Um, and, and we have some in our shop. Um, but the, the biggest thing is to go out there and find these books. And there are reputable people that are writing these books. One of them that we have, um, like, um, the name is is not. Oh, it's right just CBD. Um, healing without the high. Healing without the high. It's yeah. a really good book. Um, that is one that I found when I was on vacation. I'm always looking for stuff to pick up and read um, about CBD to help educate me. So definitely one I would recommend. It's a book by um, Juliana. Uh, Burnbaum and a Leonard Lino. I probably butchered that, but yeah, um, it's uh, got five out of five on Barnes and Noble. Yeah, yeah. it's a really good book. It it, it even goes into uh, specific dosing and uh, what uh, what the different things are that it helps to to alleviate. 
Yeah, so it'll break it down by, like, there's a little section in there on cancer, and there's a section in there on um, arthritis and Parkinson's and, you know, the benefits that can be, you know, CBD and can give. And then it also gives it kind of a star, uh, kind of, uh, and it explains in the book, but it, it's basically uh, explaining how uh, they're rating it. Uh, so it's been proven with these types of studies and the stars are kind of represented on that. I guess it's kind of hard to explain, but in that book, it, it, you know, five stars is the most. And, you know, if you're at two and a half, that means it's been studied and, and proven efficiency, uh, for said problem. Okay. So when she was talking about like arthritis versus so you're talking about starring for each one of those mm-hmm. yeah. potential yeah. like autoimmune or right or and, and problem, what, pain what problems the, or whatever what the probability of it is of helping you with that yeah and i guess we kind of got a little bit ahead of ourselves um one of the things that was the comments that we got back on the episode was explaining maybe some things that people don't understand like uh we mentioned 75 hard in the last episode and somebody was like what is that what does that even mean what is it so like I guess, what, what is CBD? What does CBD stand for? And where does it come from? How is it extracted, et cetera? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> so, you know, we grow, you know, industrial hemp. That's what the farm does, and that's where we started. And CBD is a cannabinoid in industrial hemp. Which stands for cannabidiol, right? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, the CBD is an individual cannabinoid okay. mm-hmm. uh, because there's CBG, CBN. There's a right. whole list of cannabinoids, mm-hmm. uh, THC being one of those. Right. Um, so that when, when somebody talks about CBD, they're talking about a specific cannabinoid. So when, when you see CBD isolate, that is actually the CBD. There won't be any of the other cannabinoids in with that. And so, and also CBD is a non psychoactive compo- compound, meaning if you take CBD, it's, it's non impairing. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the, the, what we do is a full spectrum, which includes all the cannabinoids and THC, uh, CBD being one of those. Uh, but uh, the amounts that are in our bottles is not enough to make you have any, it won't have those effects on you. It, it has to be under the legal limit. Yeah, I was going to say, you all are from just the short time that I've kind of watched and listened, y'all have a lot of... Um, like regulation that you have to to follow and like they'll they'll even come to your farm and chop off half of an entire plant and take it and test it and you're like oh thanks for that appreciate the money maker they come out and pulled eight inches of eight inches off of our (laughs) what do we have like 65 plants in our big greenhouse yeah and uh so if it's under an acre they pull 15 samples so they walk through there and cut probably eight inches off the top of each of 15, 15 plants. Do they make sure that it's the best looking ones? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it felt like it for sure. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of regulations that go into growing it. Um, you know, Nate talked about it not being really regulated um, for the retail side of it, you know, but to get it there, there is. So So what's uh, let's get into the weeds. What's What's the process when you say... We uh, we know it because we grow it. What What is the difference between your conventional farming that you would see on like Milo 
wheat, all the things that we see in a field and when we drive around, you know, Kansas at any point in time versus what you all are doing at High Point Farms. So, Nate, do you want to take this one? I can. Um, so, like, <clears throat> with us, we can't work the ground. We talked about this a little bit in the last, last podcast. We don't work the ground. We can. Um, we can't spray because we have to test for that and make sure we've got a clean product that we're bringing to the store. Um, and so we've got to naturally take care of pests and naturally in weeds. In weeds. So when you say you can't spray, like, what are you talking about? You're unable to spray. We can't spray Roundup and we can't spray um, Gramoxone, like any chemicals, insecticides to kill the worms or the um, any bugs. Um, no fungicide for killing fungus and that kind of thing. And weeds. And, and the farmers around us do a pretty darn good job um, of watching the wind when they spray and, and that. Yeah. So basically you can't use anything as far as what's commercially used right. and available on We can most use, of the... so like, we've tried to move towards like, there's some organic farmers around our area and we've had conversations with them, dad has, and some things that they do... Um, which I don't know, organic is, I mean, we're kind of, we're regenerative, so we're kind of a step past organic. Um, but cause a lot of organic farmers just work their ground and that kind of thing. Um, what we're trying to do is build our soil. Yeah. Build our soil. So the soil will take care of our plants and us. Okay. And, okay let's go further into the proverbial weeds. <laughs> what do you mean by building soil? Why, why is that important to what you have going on? Um, so what we're trying to do is get it to where, like right now, most farmers just have dirt and there's no microbial growth. There's nothing in that soil, you know, they spray it and kill everything there. They add synthetic fertilizers, which are not good for the soil. They kill everything that's there again. Um, then when they harvest it, they're pulling all the, um, the carbon out of the field. Um, what we're trying to do is leave as much carbon, um, get microbial growth, um, and fungal then growth, fungal growth, and just try to have, um, natural fertilizers. And in essence, like when you have healthy soil, your healthy soil will take care of the bad fungicide, bad fungus and nematodes. And yeah, you know, so yeah, there, there's a lot that a healthy soil will help you Kind of. So if I'm kind of understanding this right, so basically um, you're allowing <clears throat> the soil and kind of the natural systems that the earth has to really help manage what's going on in your farm in sense of like homeostasis. So you right. wanted you want like if there is a, a bad fungus for some reason, you have something else that comes in and kind of counteracts that because it either eats it or right. gets rid of it or whatever. Right. And right. so uh, same thing with um from what I've heard of like bugs, bugs if you have bad yeah. bugs, you want like predatory bugs to come right. in. And then once those bad bugs are gone, the predatory bugs kind of move out and right. go to wherever there are bad bugs. So you need that balance. It's all about balance, the good and bad. Is that pretty tough to achieve? Yes. It takes 100%. a long time to rebuild a long time. Yep. Um, we're still figuring it out. I mean, we're not experts by any means. We're, we're just a lot of experimenting is what it amounts to. We're seeing some results though. I yeah. mean, Last year, uh, with our crop, our weeding wasn't nearly as bad, um, you know, um, which is a good sign, you know. Uh, I, and I think, you know, like next year, 
for instance, when we when we plant our plants, we leave a, a bare strip of dirt, you know, right down the road where we're we're planting our plants. And next year, you know, and that's inevitably where the, the weeds start coming up, you know, because we're rolling down the rye to create a weed mat outside of that. Let's go back and talk about that. Okay. Talk about our cover crop. So we plant well, what did we plant it? Three weeks ago. We planted rye, radish, um, clover. Two types of clover. Hairy uh, vetch. Hairy vetch. And that's it, right? Um, winter peas. And winter peas. And so we drilled all those together in our field for next year. And so we'll let that. And why, why is that important? Um, why is cover crop important? A live root in the ground. You want to have a live root in the ground all year round. Because then you're not losing your topsoil for wind erosion, that kind of thing. And you're constantly building soil and it helps keep microbes alive and just microbes keeps them fungal. It keeps that balance. And didn't you say the clover naturally puts nitrogen back into the, to the ground? So do the winter peas. Yeah. Most of what we put in our mix is a nitrogen fixer, but the rye is a big rooted plant. So you've got a great big root that's going down and in creating these spaces for your microbials, uh, and your fungals and different things like that. Um, the radish, the too. Ground. Yeah. The radish really breaks up that pan for us, the pan, the hard surface of the soil where it's so compact from the years and years of farming and killing it. Um, that radish helps break that up so that our hemp plants can have a good taproot and get down into that soil. Gotcha. And also it harbors the, the bugs, too, and even in the wintertime. You know, you've got to have a place for all these bugs to go and and do their thing in the winter. And that's that's a harbor, too. Well, and you even talked about um, when we were in here discussing, you talked about like even around the field of planting certain flowers and things like that, which, you know, also harbors the predatory bugs. But it also you know brings in birds, too, which if I remember correctly, that, you, that was something that you love to have around. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's kind of. <clears throat> Well, I, I've liked birds forever, and our, our backyard's actually a, a bird habitat, so you can't come shoot a turkey in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> but but and then, then throughout this whole process of learning, um, you know, I finally twisted Bob's arm enough to where my front yard is a pollinator-friendly yard. So we don't mow it. We don't spray it. It's actually full of Kansas native um, wildflowers to help attract bugs. Um, as well which then feed the birds which then eat the worms you know so i mean it's that cycle that balance which also kind of brings us to another thing for her birthday i I got her seed Uh, (laughs) and and it's a it's a we bought it from pheasants forever but it's a a kansas pollinator um mix with grasses and everything and we're going to put permanent strips in in our fields now uh and so we're going to be doing these these flowers that are just constantly growing out there so you know i don't buy her flowers and then they die her flowers live <laughs> all summer long and they're also a tax write-off <laughs> <laughs> there's the real reason there's the real reason <laughs> um, See, instigator he's he's trying to get me in trouble <laughs> so all of this to to kind of start moving along that process you have Everything from the microbes in the soil up to the bugs that are above the soil and even in the winter under. Keep in mind, I was in my parents' basement as a kid. I was a city boy. I, I know none of this stuff. So this is fascinating to learn. Um, 
and then you move on to certain cover crops and fixing the soil and then now we move into planting the springtime okay so so we grow the the rye the rye gets about six foot tall ish uh and we built a roller to roll that down and that creates a weed mat also nate Nate told me how we got that home (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure the township was really impressed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it made grading the next time easy. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, drug it from Lyons to south of Nickerson with my pickup and not having a lift axle on it yet. So yeah. tore up some dirt roads on the yeah. way. Because it's got chevrons on it that, that are two inches tall. No, they, they weren't on it until after we got to our oh, house. Oh, okay. It was just the roller then, but still yeah. it tore the hell out of the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we built that roller to, do, uh, to roll our, our cover crop down. So if you wait until the right time, uh, you you can get your your ride to get killed by rolling it. Okay, uh, but you got to wait till the right time. It's got to be uh, flowering. Okay, uh, the the stem's got to be hollow. So when you roll it down, it snaps over and kills a plant. Okay, so now you've created a nice weed mat to try and keep the weeds at bay. And also, also any nitrogen that's in its right, it's going to go basically right back right, in right. through the decomp- decomposition process. Right, right. Keeping that organic matter in the field's a right. big deal yeah. for us. Right. Yeah, because now we're killing the winter pea, the vetch, everything's going back into the soil. The pigweeds yeah. are trying to come up. Yeah. Um, so now, now we're just past that, and we want to try and time up our planting and our rolling about the same time. Because that weed mat will give you about six to eight weeks of good, solid, uh, weed-free uh, field. No, okay. not weed-free. Pretty close to weed-free. Well, those first six to eight weeks is pretty pretty weed-free. Uh, and then you get much past that. It's starting to rot away enough that, that the weeds can come through. But that's where the clover comes in. Okay, Because now this clover hasn't been killed. It's still growing up through that weed mat creating more of a, a cover, but it's also fixing nitrogen, okay? Um, so we planted our hemp plants and hope they're about six inches tall by that time. Then we can just go right into that and, and plant our hemp into that. So but, how, how does your planting differ from conventional farming? I mean, you know, most of the people think about planting. They see a big tractor with this pole behind thing that I put, put, they put a bunch of seed in, drill it into the ground, and go from there. I mean, how does how's it differ? Well, we have a planter. We just plant live plants with it. So two people right on the back of the planter. So you start them. You start them by the seed. And, we do. Okay. Yeah, we start and, our our plants by the seed and, in the greenhouse. In the greenhouse, and um, we're still working on the timing. You know, uh, winter or not winter weather always has their own agenda. You know, and so it's never ideal for no. us to plant. Never has been. Probably never will be. What was no. that you were saying about farmers on the way over here? Um, if they're not bitching, they're dead. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, this that, year, a mouse got us is, is the story on this year's stuff. Oh, yeah, wow. That put us behind because we had a mouse get up on the table where we were germinating all these seeds and literally it, dug through the seed trays. It probably ate damn near 3,000 plants. Like it dug individual seeds out. Sounds like the uh, greenhouse now needs to be a cat sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We so the first year we didn't have that issue, um, which we didn't have the netting up on the sides. Second year we had it in the middle of the, the room, and so there was no way to get up. 
And then this year we had the table up against the edge of the greenhouse next to the netting, and that's what did it. Mm. The mice were able to crawl up that and get on the table. and so We learned. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so we, we do. We take those live plants, and, and two people ride on the planter and plant. People walk behind the planter to make sure that the ground is, is covered, the plants right back up, you know, the root ball. and um, Make sure then, the plants not getting buried. Yep. Yep. And then... Um, I don't know. This year we only did a half acre, so it went pretty darn quick. That's the hardest part about that transplanter is it was really made for like a really consistent soil. And so like, like a worked ground. Yeah. Your your conventional farming type. Yeah. And so we've got a, we do it no-till and with no-till it's really inconsistent throughout the field on whether the soil is like more compact, less compact, drier, wetter. And so every once in a while we'll get to a spot and it'll just start burying plants and we got to go and unbury them. And, the whole plant, not just a root ball. It's the whole plant. Yeah. You got to dig through it and find the plant. It's I mean, it seems like it's a very hands-on, you know, intensive process from from the word go. Very much so. I mean, it is, from the word go to, to uh, putting it in the store. Yep. The whole way. Yep. So what happens through the growing season? So... I guess let's talk about you had problems with aphids and uh, army worms and stuff like that. So when when those things do happen in your grows, what do you do to combat it since you don't do conventional farming means? We try and be as like proactive as we can in like having the, the border crop with our flowers and stuff and putting on um, a product called AgriSweet, which is a glucose basically we put on through our irrigation system and uh, the bugs can't digest those sugars and so the plants take that up and they're not supposed to like it and we had pretty good luck with it for the most part towards the end of the season i think we started slacking off a little bit on putting that on and maybe we should have put it on heavier i don't know but towards the end of the season we started seeing some insect pressure from the army worms but some of the boars yeah and but we've had the boars the last three years and it's i think it's been about the same the last three years what boars what what does that mean the boars. I'm hemp. sorry. It's a Eurasian hemp borer. The worm starts at the top of the bud, works its way down, mm, okay. and just destroys the buds. I got you. Yeah, I, did, I had no idea what that was. Sorry. It's no, basically it's like a worm. Like a, um, they do the same in like ears of corn and that kind of thing. So is that something you can also combat with the glucose thing, or is it a completely different way, or nothing you can do? We take our loss with that pretty much. Because really? like once they start budding out, we don't spray anything on the buds, because then that residual. The first year we actually had the residual show up in tests, from like we had bacteria is what it was, and it was it was the bacteria that we had sprayed. Because we were places. trying to do it naturally, right. it, it, it's a bacillus strain of uh, bacteria. Yeah, right. Just that, just in line with what you were doing yeah. to try to handle any problems that you have. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. This year, when the worms came along, we were out there shaking plants and stomping worms because picking we, them off. Yeah, the army worms we had not experienced that. Not before. like that. Mm-mm. This year they were terrible. Army worm again. Yeah. I was say, is there anything you could do for those? The good thing is that they didn't really like the plants, the hemp plants, as much as they liked the grasses. We've uh, noticed so. that the insects really attack the unhealthy hemp plants. Yes. The ones that are healthy and sturdy and look really, really good, the insects don't mess with. The ones that are looking sickly and that kind of thing, the insects go to. 
yeah i mean and if i remember correctly you were talking about like genetic control and that's something that you were talking about you didn't necessarily have as much of just for cost saving reasons like you you can buy seeds that you know the genetics are really controlled but you don't have so so when you're planting you may have some that are better than others as a result i mean if you think about it you know like soybeans like a lot of those genetics i mean you look across soybean field and they're all the same height all the way across except for the occasional mud hole or something and that's just because they've been bred like that for so long and um our issue is is like cbd plants of our like most cannabis plants have been bred to have CBD bred out and THC bred in until the last six years. And so now they're switching that over. And so we're only on like year six or seven of them breeding CBD in plants for that genetic. So that's our, the issue we're running into is just, they haven't had time to stabilize those genetics yet. Is there any way for you guys to control some of those genetics? Like, is there any way for the plant, uh, again, forgive my ignorance, is there any way for the plant to go to seed to where like you can say that plant was good so we're going to let it go to seed and then we're going to like our issue is is we don't have any way to control the outside pollen that comes in so that outside pollen is from the ditch weed down the road so we don't know what we're getting there where our plants are feminized oh, okay so they're 99 supposed to be like 98 percent females and this year we saw that and probably hold true. We only had a couple males this year, a couple male plants. And um, what do you what do you do with those? Uh, get them out as quick as you can. Okay. Throw them yeah. in the compost pile. Yep. So moving moving on in the process, you've gone through the grow, you've gone through battling all of these these bugs and and problems, and I'm sure weather being a factor as well on some of at least on your the ones that aren't in hoop houses or greenhouses or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's probably a bigger factor, but again, you think of conventional farming, fire up the combine, go out, cut it down, it, put it in a semi and take it to the, to the elevator. What's, what's the difference in how y'all have to do it? The work has just begun then, you know, (laughs) because now it's all go down, go out and cut it down with a weed eater, you know, put a, like a saw blade on the weed eater, cut each plant down individually, haul them in. And then, uh, then you've got to hand shuck them. Uh, so you're, you're taking that plant and, and, uh, you're just pulling the flower off of the, off of the stems. Um, and, and then you got to dry it. So we developed a dryer this the year before last, uh, which to, is really cool. <laughs> Definitely some like super cool farm ingenuity there. I yeah. thought that was awesome. Yep. Uh, we can't take complete credit for that. We we saw a farmer doing something that on a much bigger scale. Uh, we just kind of scaled it down to fit what we do. It was uh, we saw it, uh, Melissa in South Bend, <clears throat> South Bend Industrial Hemp out in Great Bend. Actually, Melissa is going to come on the show eventually with us. Uh, they had a big dryer, um, and it was uh, made out of a uh, shipping container with a false floor in it and fan blowing in underneath that. But it was like a 40-foot-long container that was 15-foot-high sidewalls, you know. And they had they had 60 acres of hemp they had to dry, though, where we yeah. have had two. Yeah. So. Yeah, so explain yours. What did you end up doing? So we have a, a, a 12-foot dump trailer that's uh, 12-foot long by about 7.5 feet wide. And we built a false floor in the bottom of it, meaning uh, 
there's about a foot space underneath where the hemp will go that's got expanded metal on the top of it to keep the hemp from from coming down in it and then we put a back on it um, that has a couple holes in it for us blowing fans underneath the the hemp uh, and the air comes up through um, and then we put a tarp on top of that to keep that air circulating inside that trailer so that tarp blow up, kind of blows up like a balloon and the air circulates in there um, and it does a pretty good job you know it nope. does take a little time to get it done but it, it'll get it done yeah i was gonna ask how long that took well um it it can take you know depends on the load but and the humidity outside um, like the one we shuck together i mean it took 12 hours yeah um the biggest load that we put in there where we filled it to the top so like two days before no the weekend before you helped us yeah was it was working it was uh i think that one took like 24 ish yeah i'm not sure it took quite that long but it was quite a while it was 24 hours before we pulled it out of the dryer but yeah how, how was, do you know it's dry how do you know it's ready just, just by, feel yeah yeah the first year we got a hay probe and tested and tested and tested and never got a good answer out of no. it <laughs> so we just it's so frustrating no, so chalk it up to that learning process you were talking yeah. about yep. yeah so we just like kind of we we reach our hand and kind of feel in there and then we kind of like grab the stems and try and break the stems and if they just pop, then it's dry. If they don't crack, then it probably needs a little more time to dry down. Is it possible to get it, like, too dry? Yeah. Like, make it bad? We try yeah. to get 8 to 10% moisture. Um, last year, we probably dried most of it down to about 6%, which you can start to lose a little bit of oil at that point. And I think some of it this year might have been a little dry, too, about down to that 6% range. But for the most part, I mean, the money we're saving by doing it ourselves is well worth taking it somewhere else so now that it's it's dried it obviously has to go through you know some processes to get it into uh distillate right yep yeah. yep and, what, and then what's that like where 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 do you go after the drying process so we take our products uh our biomass um once it's dried over to can canna in wichita and uh heath over there does a great job um he, he'll take it and weigh it and then grind it, and then he'll put it through his CO2 extractors. Uh, and that pulls all, all of the, the oils out of the flour. And, and you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not just a flour. It's the whole, whole product. You know, it's all of the stems, stalks, leaves, uh, flour. It's, it's everything. Just it's, trying to make the most out of, out of your harvest. Yeah, and, and that's where you get your full spectrum. Too. Okay. But he can also, through that process, he can make the broad spectrum. You know, like at different temperatures and pressures, he can pull the THC out of that that oil. Or he can just, just pull the CBD or just pull the CBN. Um, so, like, those CO2 extractors are pretty versatile and that kind of thing compared to ethanol is the other major type of extraction that's used. One yeah, of say, the and others. Yeah. I apologize. Go ahead. No, just one of the others. Yeah. Yeah, and... and d- so did you choose the the co2 extraction was that like a choice or was that just something that was available or because i've in, in my my understanding of what at least i've been trained and i've been shown throughout the course of my job there's we call it like bho is what we call it butane hash oil where they like put butane in the top of like a a glass cylinder and then when that butane condenses in there under temperature like what you get down at the bottom is a distillate Mm -hmm. um but it's not seen as i guess clean you know whereas you all are doing 
oils and and things like that. The CO2 is the cleaner of the two methods. Where you don't have other stuff left over where you're not getting the things when you're having it tested for or for bacteria or metals or whatever. Yeah. So it's, is, it's did you choose cleanest. that? Did you choose yeah. CO2 for yeah. that reason on purpose? Um, we, we were lucky in the aspect that, that that's what heat does. Okay. It is that, um, but there's not a lot of extractors in Kansas, you right. know, like there's one ethanol extractor in here, maybe here in Hutch. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. And there's one up in Abilene. And then um, there's uh, another CO2 in Kansas city. Is it Overland Park? I can't remember where it's at up there. Where Kansas City Hemp was at. Um, yeah. And then Heath. They're the extractors that I know of in the, Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a few more yeah. here and there, smaller ones. But those are the major ones that I know about. And most of them are CO2. Um, actually, no, most of them are ethanol. The CO2 just happens to be the closest one to us. So, so, so win-win. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we were glad that that's the way it was. And one thing that we found in this industry is that um, there's a lot of people out there that don't like to answer their phone and talk to you, and they're hard to get a hold of. And Heath's not really that guy. Heath Heath always calls Dad back right yeah. away, and or answers his phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how long does it take usually to go through the extraction process to to get distill it back to you? That's not very long, usually. Uh, we just took it over... Monday. Tuesday. Monday, tu- yeah, it was Tuesday. Uh, and I suspect we'll have it back in the next week or two. Okay. So, um, I haven't asked him. We're not in a hurry at this point. Right. We're not waiting on Dissolid because we still have some we're working through from last year. I got you. Um, so, you get you get the Dissolid, and you originally talked about wanting to be in the wholesale market. Correct me if I'm wrong there as far as like you originally hadn't intended on retail. So I'm assuming right. we wanted to wholesale the was distillate. Kind of, was kind yeah. of the, yeah, the wholesaling the distillate mm-hmm. was kind of the initial thought process. So when you did move into the retail market, what was what was that like? What were some of the challenges you had? What were hurdles that you had to jump? What were things like? What are some of the things you learned from that if you have an, other entrepreneurs that are trying to maybe do some of the things you're doing? What, I guess what advice or things would you... Because that's, that's one thing I've found interesting about the little bit of time I've had there. When we came out to your open house, there were some other growers there. And it was just cool to watch the the bouncing back and forth of like, here's what I did. Here's what I tried versus the, oh, that's that's a secret. No, you know, like figure it out. You know, catch well, you later. There, you know? There's people out there who are that <laughs> way. I mean, you know, we and, and then <laughs> some people just don't want to talk, you yeah. know, and and we're up for sharing our information you know know? these this products it helps people you know and like that's what we're about is helping people and helping them feel better and if they want to grow it themselves and make their own tinctures and make their own products you know we're willing to share our information to help them there's enough room in this industry for plenty you know plenty of people so there's no sense in you know us fighting amongst each other let's help each other and you know, let's help each other be successful. <coughs> so what, what are some of the, I guess, the hurdles getting into the retail market? Well, I mean, first of all, you've got to come up with a, a logo of some kind. Okay. So that was kind of the beginning part of it. Uh, Which I really like your logo for what it's worth. It's cool. Thank you. Uh, so uh, we, we hired a professional to help us with that. Um, 
And the hurdle there was to get it done. <laughs> yeah. You know, it took way longer than we, than we were hoping. Um, and then from there, you've got to figure out who's going to do your bottling for you. Um, and, uh, with that is, you know, when you bottle, you've got to have a, a good bottle, you know, uh, that make sure that they're going to use our product, you know, which was a big hurdle for us because we felt like, you know, it, if they're just going to take our distillate and throw it in with a big vat of distillate, right. yep. you know, that loses the personal touch that, that yeah. we're looking for. So we found a, a person locally, when I say locally, in the state of Kansas that does the bottling and dosing for us. And so that was a pretty big hurdle. I mean, it was it was locally because they, like, own the store that we're in now currently. Yeah. So um, his name is Ken Hausler. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say his name? Um, and they own CBD Nation. And CBD Nation was in this location before us. And Dad, did you stop in here one day? Or how did you meet Ken? It was, we, we had gone over to, to Wichita. To pick up our to, Yeah. And we were talking to Heath. And I just asked Heath if he knew anybody in the state of Kansas who was bottling. You know, because we had found people in other locations out of state. But they also wanted us to be able to purchase like 500 runs of 500. Mm. So we couldn't afford to buy 500 2,000 milligram tinctures, 500 300 milligram tinctures. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. We, we just couldn't. We're just small little... You had basically minimum orders that you yeah. had to do on each. Yeah. And you have, I mean, how many product lines do you have roughly? I mean, just as far as each tincture and then body butters and bath bombs and... So I mean, you had to have you had to have you know minimum orders on all of that. We right. did. We have right. capsules and gummies and you and know. his minimum. He still has a minimum, but it's better than five hundred. We we five fifty is what his minimum is for okay. our products. Gotcha. Yeah. So I mean that that really helped us out. But Heath is the person who gave us Ken's name, you know. And so then when we called and talked to Ken, um, he's like, "Yeah, why don't you come up and and check out our our facility up here?" So we all went up and. He, he just said, hey, I've got a store down in Hutch that we're really wanting to sell. Do you guys want to do it? And it was like almost too good to be true because... We just kind of stumbled across it and then like, I mean, literally like a month and a half, two months after that conversation, like we were moving into this store. So it happened like that. Yeah. I mean, it was hurry. not... We were not looking for a retail store. And I would say, I would say the biggest hurdle for the retail store was me. Because I told them that we weren't doing it. <laughs> so, but as you can tell, I got outvoted. <laughs> we all still work full-time jobs. Right. You know, and so between the farm and um, work and Nate had bought a house and was wanting to redo it. And, I mean, it was... Strong man. Yeah, we, we just had our plates full. And so to open a retail store was not something that... I really wanted to do, but I enjoy it. So. Now that we're here, it's it's been a pretty good thing for us so far. And also, thank you for letting us use this space. Sure. I, mean, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, and it's something I was telling Nate last night. It just feels right. feels good to just uh, be able to have conversations with people and just pass on you know knowledge and get to know people and make those connections and, and help people. Like I know Nate, that's definitely a, a big a big thing for Nate um, and I work in public service obviously it's something I want to do but back to the bottling 
another thing I find fascinating is so through this whole process, through the soil, through the cover crops, through the um, uh, regenerative farming, uh, organic would be wrong, right? Regenerative mm-hmm. farming. Okay. Through the regenerative farming, even up to the bottling, listening to you, Sarah, talk about um, uh, even re- you don't like waste. So you were really big on like glass products and also incentivizing, you know, customers to bring their their stuff back yeah to be able to to reuse and so you're also uh, i guess regenerating in a different way yeah and some of the bottles that we pick especially the ones that i hand make myself i try to pick things that people will either reuse the body butter jars they can bring back and i mean they're just canning jars you know i'll sterilize them and and we'll reuse them so um, the plastic waste drives me nuts. Um, we even have um, toothbrushes made from hemp here in the store that are biodegradable. <laughs> you know, so take the bristles out, throw it in your compost pile when you're done. It's yeah. gone in six months. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, but that that went into even like the packaging of the bath bombs that I make. You know, you a lot of bath bombs you're going to find in shrink wrap plastic, mm, right. and mine are not. Yeah. You know, so we hand package those in paper that. It's unfortunate that we can't find everything, you know, in, in biodegradable, you know, we'd love to find biodegradable plastic packages to, to package our different products in. Um, but you know, there's just some things that you have to bite the bullet on and, you know, keep watching. And maybe one day as the hemp industry rolls along, there'll be a hemp bioplastic plastic envelope, you know. That's affordable. That's affordable. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have you ever, have you all ever considered moving into anything like, you know, hemp there's out there or, or leashes and things? Have, or are you just working on just the retail, like distillate type? You know, stuff? we wouldn't mind having like textiles and stuff made from cancer grown hemp and this and that. But really the, I mean, there's a fiber processing facility in Great Bend. But other than that, there's not much for manufacturing for it in Kansas and even in the United States because you take that product and you still got to process it down even more fine and then blend it with cotton and this and that to make t-shirts and that kind of stuff so it's there's still a lot more past that process in order to even get a t-shirt or a dog collar or that kind of thing and it's just I don't think we're I think we're ways off Kansas still the cool thing is is there are companies coming on board all the time that are that are trying to make that work I just saw an advertisement today for a putter that was made from uh, hemp uh, bioplastics. Huh. You know, it, it was actually, it wasn't bioplastic. It was hemp. It's a, a hemp wood. Okay. Um, it was pretty neat looking. Um, and I think it might've been that 3D printing hmm. company. There's a 3D printing company that, that uses the, the hemp bioplastics uh, to print different things. Uh and we want to try and get some of their products in here too. At some point, we just haven't figured out what we want. And and uh, then there's a wood manufacturer, a hemp wood manufacturer, that that uh, has some products. And and you know, as money permits, we'll try to gain some of these things as as items in our stores. But a lot of those things time. are just kind of R and D at this point, and so they're not really efficient at making them, and so it's all really expensive still. And so it's okay. Just buy your own 3D printer and do it yourself. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the hemp wood too, though. I mean, like, yeah, get that too. No problem. It's easy. 
Yeah. <laughs> Everything you've talked about today is easy. I, I wish it's it just, was easy. Yeah. Any, I, anything worth doing well is never going to be easy. Anything worth doing. You know, I, I was listening to your podcast, your first podcast the other day, and Nate talked about learning lots of lessons growing up at our house, including digging ponds and, and um, building waterfalls and that kind of stuff. And Nate, I just wanted to say, I think that was all just practice and learning for hemp farming. Yeah. They were preparing <laughs> me the whole time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. For that yeah. hard work, because yeah. nothing of nothing that we have done is easy, and it's taken. It's been a fight the whole time, it but we love been. it. Yeah, yeah, and I I find that there's always an, uh, an exceptional sense of accomplishment of like I did that. I always tell my kids that, and when when I'm having problems, like Alexander, he always has issues doing his chores. So whenever it gets done well, I'm like, you did that. Nobody else did that. That was you. Good job. High five. Yeah. So back back to the retail market. Do you find that your customers are really receptive to your, um, uh, we know it because we grow it, and you can track it from seed to here, and you're putting it in their hand. Is that is that important to your customer base? I think it is. I mean, I I, I hear a lot of positive feedback. You know, there's very few people that don't ask a lot of questions once we start talking about, you know, one of the first things that, that I try to talk to a customer about, you know, we do a lot of shows at different places. Um, and when somebody kind of walks by and is iron our products, and you know, I'll, I'll throw out there, you know, this stuff comes from our hemp that we grow. And usually that perks their, their attention up and they, then they start asking questions. So you guys grow this. Yeah. And, and so that leads into a longer conversation. So, yeah, that, that is a selling point in my opinion. As far as I know, I think we're the only growers that have a brick and mortar retail store as well in Kansas. I think. I don't I know there's one coming on online in, in uh, Abilene. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. But there's not very many. I think there's a few around. Um, there's a lot of online, you know, uh, growers that, that put their products through an online store or something right. or have it being sold in pharmacies or you know locations mm-hmm. we, we've never really gone that direction um we have the best luck at booths well, you know we do. going and talking to people and meeting people at like craft markets and um, trade shows and that kind of stuff and, and, and i think that's why nate and i find this podcast to be at least in the, the short time that we have kind of discussed our philosophies on it were the thing that was missing from our society are those conversations and those establishing relationships with people and not doing it from an online market where you right. can, you can put the, I mean, the, that's this thing up there on the website that says it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that or whatever. But when you can establish those relationships um, and, and, and that's what really grows your brand. And I feel, I feel grows your brand and grows your product when people, can put a face to the name and also right. know that they can trust it. I mean, mm-hmm. if I were supplementing CBD, it wouldn't be from anywhere other than here, period, end of story. And so I know that would be exceptionally important for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there if you had something else you want to add, but I had a follow-up question. CTE brain. Sorry, <laughs> CTE, right? Yeah. I was about to you say can't rem- You can't remember? Okay. <laughs> well, so yeah. to go back, you talked about delivering um, in the petroleum industry, delivering mm-hmm. to farmers. Yeah. Has that the relationships you established through that with any of those guys like 
has that moved into your hemp business of establishing contacts and maybe talking to a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy? Yeah. So, um, a little bit, um, I try not to mix the two together too much. You know, uh, I don't want my, my employer to think that I'm, you know, using his time to, to sell my products. Understood. So I really, I really don't try to push that, but if they ask me a question, I'm going to answer it, you know? Uh, so yeah, on, there's, there's a couple farmers that come in and, and buy some products from us. Um, uh, one of them relatively recently, I was like, wow, he came in and got some, uh, pretty neat, you know, uh, just, but yes, I've established a lot of relationships over the years. And, and I think some of that, that does come through. Well, like, far. I mean, the, some of your customers, the organic farmers that we've had, you've had conversations with are your customers there mm-hmm. have been in the past and that's where yeah. that relationship started so so and that's kind of my background a little bit in ag too you know i i talk to farmers every day i mean that's just part of my job um so i hear different different things on growing styles and you know um the the differences in um the planting styles you know just there's so many different ways to to do the same thing Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, just because they're doing it that way doesn't mean that the way I'm doing it won't work, you know, and that's the mentality you kind of got to have is, you know, trying different things is not a bad thing. Sometimes you might get a, a weird look, but, <laughs> um, for the most part, that's okay. Um, did you have those questions that you wanted to ask for that? Just, I, I know we're going to eventually get into that. So, um, okay. We're going to segue into that pretty quickly, but I was curious, uh, what are some of the, I guess the common misconceptions y'all have or the like main questions that people have when they come in or do they just, what, what are some of the battles that you fight right now in trying to sell your product when it comes to just a customer walking in off the street and wanting to supplement CBD? I think that they don't know how, you know, people are just unfamiliar with, a bottle of CBD oil tincture. What do you do? How much do you take? When do you take it? Um, Is it going to make me tired? Is it going to do this or that? Right, right. That, you know, um, the drug testing, that's also um, something that's important that we try to talk to people about because if you have a CDL, you know, where you get tested for um, drugs at work, if you're taking our full spectrum oil, it's a very good possibility you could test positive. Um, you know, so it's answering questions, and that's why we have never really pushed to put our CBD in pharmacies, on counters, and gas stations, um, that kind of, those types of places, because the CBD does not usually sell itself, if that makes sense. People have a lot of questions on how to take it the best way, how long it lasts, um, <coughs> does it help, is it going to help with pain, you know, Um those types of things. So does it help when you can say yes, speak and here's why it does. Um, especially, um, me speaking from experience and taking it with my arthritis, you know, and pain. Absolutely. Um, pets, that's another big thing. People love their animals, you know, and, um, just to, when people come and talk to us about how CBD has helped, you know, I mean, that's the best thing is to see those returning customers come back um, my sister and her dog was having seizures and, um, on pain medicines and, 
he just kind of lived a miserable life, you know, um, he's off all of those medicines and he's a totally different dog and happy now because of CBD. And, you know, it just, and that makes my sister happy, you know, so. Therefore makes us happy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting to point out that, um, Nate talked about what's, what's the name of the guy that does the, the extraction for you, the CO2 extraction. Heath. So Heath answers the phone, right? And that was something that y'all found very important. Something that was basically the reason he got your business. And I think that's in, in your ever present in your business model as well as everybody's used to going to Walmart and having this huge aisle of things that, you know, they see things like dextromethorphan on the on the bottle and they're like, what what does that even mean? Like it says mucus relief. OK, I'll take that um, or your cough suppressant, which is actually what that is. But um, whereas you all seem not to settle on that of, you know, I want to be the person that answers the phone. I want to be the person that's there at the booth or available at the storefront or available at the open house to do that. And while. It may seem like a, a longer journey in the end. Uh, I think that it seems like you will probably establish a better customer base and a stronger one because you're willing to put in that extra work and that extra discipline and and make that connection with customers versus yep. everyone else that just sells it online because they're trying to make a buck. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a lot of education. Um, education is a big thing. That's that's one of the, the biggest reasons we're getting out. Well, there's multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is so people can ask those questions uh, and get as, as right of an answer as we can give uh, for said questions. You know, um, for instance, we were at the flea market up here and our neighbor, the neighbor booth, um, we started a conversation with her and we asked her if, if she'd ever tried CBD and her, her response was, uh, uh, I don't agree with what you guys are doing. It's not legal. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I just, I was, I didn't know how to take that. You know, I was like almost dumbfounded, like, whoa, where has this person been living? Right. And, and before the day was over, uh, she had come around. Mm. Um, and, and she was actually trying to get one of her friends to, to take some CBD. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And her friend had the same attitude as her though. Right. And she's like, they shouldn't even be here. <laughs> so she, she, and at that point we were kind of wore out. So I'm yeah. like, we're not taking that one under our wing. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but that's another misconception. You know, a lot of people don't understand that it's been legal in the United States federally for, you know, a few years now. So yes, it wasn't at the 2018 farm bill, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, another thing that makes us a little bit different is if you walk into a quick shop, they're not going to let you try an ointment hmm. or a salve. And here, you know, we've got a body butter and a salve. You've got sore hands. You can walk in and try it. We'll give you a little sample. Those people at the gas station aren't going to be able to tell you a damn thing about that That's product true. either. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to they be able to tell care, you where it's from or what it does. It. You know, the people behind behind the counter don't care, care if they yeah. sell it to you or if you come back and buy it again. Right. That's yeah. one thing we're really, like with wholesaling to people, we want them to be educated on that product so that they know how to sell it. Because there's no point in us wholesaling to somebody 
then them sitting on that product for six months because they can't sell it, don't know how to sell it. You know, they've got to be able to educate people on that product as well. So. Are you going to have like some of the same quality control standards that you would have for yourselves to people that you're wholesaling to? I would say so. Yeah. Like, I guess they're not going to be like quite as knowledgeable on the products as us, but they're going to have a pretty good knowledge base. And we have an open line to where they can call us. Yeah. And if they have a question from a customer, you know, like we'll be there to answer that question as soon as we can. Yeah. Wholesaling to me seems similar um, in a thought process to like franchising. You know, when you buy, when you buy a Sonic, they, they, they give you everything that you need and like train you on how to make a, a Sonic hamburger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seems like, you know, if, if you could be doing some of the same things with, with that of like, just to ensure that not only they're successful, but you right. know, you're successful. If, and, and if they're successful, we're successful. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sarah and I Setting just, them up for success. Sarah and I were just having this conversation at supper time. You know, I, I was telling her that we need some kind of a, a sell sheet, you know, something for them to reference and, and learn from to help sell the products that, that they have of ours. Okay. You know, uh, so, you know, we're looking at different ways to try and help people. Uh, we've got a wholesaler over in, in Mound Ridge that, that we reached out to and, uh, we're trying to figure out, um, a way to get over there and talk to her about how to sell, you know, why, why our products, you know, should be put up here. Uh, and, and so, you know, those are the kind of things that we need to work, you know, iron out the details on, uh, but those are things that we need to really work on and, and get better at, you know? Um, so, you know, to, to answer your question is yes, that's something that, that we do, but we need to do it better. Okay. And, uh, so going back just to here before this, in a sense where people are really wanting to get out and support their local businesses now, instead of these big online retail giants, you know, there's still Amazon sells this place, obviously like probably half this equipment on the table. No, could have came no, from Amazon. None of it came from Amazon actually. Well, yeah. It really didn't. Um, it came from like some, like the, the mics came directly from, uh, I always say it wrong. Newer. Uh, they came directly from Newer, but the other ones were, um, like, more, I guess, mom and poppy type places that were selling using New Egg kind of as a marketplace. You know how you can, you know how you can list stuff on Amazon mm-hmm. and sell it. That's that's basically what what New, New Egg was doing okay. with all this equipment. Well, a lot um, of the stuff we've got a lot of stuff in the store that we've bought off of Amazon. Um, you know, so it's still got its place, but like there's really been a push for supporting local, and I think that's really helped us leverage to where we're at today and like get to a point where we had a brick and mortar store and to where we felt like it was the right thing to do and getting to those booths and that kind of thing. So I feel like, I feel like it's opened a lot of people's eyes to that old adage of you don't know what you got till it's gone type thing. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much the shutdown was affecting people because I work in public service. So, and I was deemed quote unquote essential it was like, you know, we were basically told like it, in the beginning it was if you get sick, you're going to quarantine. But as it progressed, it was like, we don't care. Put a mask on. You're still coming to work. Um, so I never had any interruption whatsoever in cash flow, period. And I was at my getting my haircut by a lady in Lyons 
just kind of talking about maybe some frustrations. I was talking about some frustrations in, I wasn't sure whether if I got quarantine again, if it was going to be paid for, or if I was going to have to use vacation or whatever, and how I was, I guess, just frustrated at the lack of answers. And she's like, well, at least one way or the other, you have the ability to have like a paycheck come in. And she said, when it came to hairdressing, she's like, that definitely was not an essential. And I just didn't get paid, period. End okay. of story. No money. Yep. Everything was done, finito, gone. And so that really opened my eyes to like, I should probably stop complaining. Right. Um, and I wasn't really complaining really badly. But in the sense of realizing how good that I had it and also supporting local more. Right. Now, there are times that I couldn't find a condenser mic for a podcast in Sterling, Kansas. Right. So I did have to seek elsewhere. But um, it, it was definitely an interesting time. And when they throw words like unprecedented around and things like that, it was definitely something I've, I've never experienced and hope to never experience again. But it is interesting that, you know, the, the Walmarts and the, the Amazons and the Targets and stuff were allowed to stay open when, you know, kind of the mom and, mom and pop businesses were told they couldn't right which was an interesting process which has i understand to a degree but also some of the other things i don't understand so one of the things that we're trying to do in the store is support local uh and when i say local i'm talking kansas um and so we carry a line of soap uh that is from uh paola paola kansas that's actually what i used before i came here yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh they, they make a great product and and, you know, uh, we're, we're, you know, that's something that we've talked about doing is, is just carrying Kansas made products in here. Uh, and, and I think we're fairly successful. There are some things that aren't made in Kansas. Uh, but the majority of the things that are in our store are Kansas made. Like we carry a honey. I, I don't know if you've tried any of our honey or not. As a matter of fact, I did. I had goulash and bread at your house the other <laughs> yeah. night and it was phenomenal. Yeah. It was so good. I've never, like my wife used to make goulash all the time because we were like, since we're such a large family and I, I was to the point where I just told her, I was like, please, no more spaghetti and goulash, please. <laughs> like literally anything else. And uh, so when I dished that up and I was just like, holy cow, this is really good. And then. Smelling that fresh bread on top of it yeah. and getting the honey. Oh, so good. So good. So, so the honey, uh, I don't know if we, we haven't touched on this yet, but uh, we we have some friends that are beekeepers from Highland, Kansas, and uh, they kept a couple hives out on our farm this year uh, for the, the bees to uh, use our the, the border crops as, as their uh, nectar source. And... Um, so they harvested that honey off of those hives, and we actually are putting that in our store. Uh, so that's as local as you can get. Yeah, no you kidding. Know, in two ways. You know, the beekeeper, he's actually a guy that was from here originally uh, and moved to Highland, um, but it's still in Kansas. And and they make a great um, uh, Cream. yeah, creamed honey that, that's flavored. Mm. <laughs> did you did you try any of that? No, I didn't. Oh. I, I I bought some from another local mm-hmm. at that uh, they had that strawberry patch in Sterling, mm-hmm. and I bought some from there. Yeah, and I was actually commenting to her how they were in like the plastic containers versus reusable ones, and because I've always liked bees, um, yeah. that just always have been a fascinating thing to me, and, and it was interesting to see the differences in colors between oh, yeah. the two. Um, and I didn't I didn't try. Um, well, actually, I guess I did. I tried the one that was on the fridge. 
Was that different than the one that was in the jar? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Different uh, harvest. Yeah. Same hive, different harvest. And just, uh, just, uh, it was just good. I can't explain any better. Yeah. It was just like really good. It's made, pretty made cool. Made a fat kid happy. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, uh, that's kind of one of our goals too, is to support local. Yeah. And to have more of that in your retail store as well. Mm-hmm. Is, is that not, not only just supporting local, but, um, just from, you know, Nate always talks about how, like something makes good business sense or business minded. So is that also like a, just diversification of like revenue streams as well, just to kind of try to, to we're make, trying different make it things. Work better? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we do carry South Bend industrial hemp's, uh, they have a tincture that's an isolate tincture. So we don't make an isolate tincture or all of ours is full spectrum. So um, what, what is an isolate tincture just for those that are <coughs> listening that don't know? So isolate is when you isolate that CBD cannabinoid out of the, out of the, uh, cannabidiol. Uh, and, uh, then you just put it into a tincture form. Um, so it doesn't have any of the THC or any of the other cannabinoids in it. And so that would be something you would be worried you would be using if you were worried about drug testing, drug testing or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. So that's just going to be the, the non-psychoactive component. There's So let, let's back up a little bit. Uh, when it comes to cannabinoids, um, there's basically three ways that it can go. Uh, full spectrum, which is what we carry, which is all the cannabinoids, including THC. There's a broad spectrum, um, which is all the cannabinoids except for THC. And then CBD, which is just the CBD isolated uh, without THC. Okay. Or any of the other cannabinoids. Okay. Um, so the, one of the things that I know you is ever present in your lives is regulation and your your ability to, I guess, you know, pivot and move in the market is kind of dependent on uh, what le- the legislature has in store for you. And I know that... Nate was telling me he had that growers panel thing coming up and he kind of wanted to ask because originally, I guess you were Bob, you were slated to, to kind of yeah. be on that and you ended up having to work there, but Oh, okay. And so, uh, he wanted to ask some of the questions of you two to not only prepare him for that, but also for, uh, people to just kind of listen to like some, what, cause they, they ask in that, what some of the, like, what do you want to see, you know, coming up and stuff like that? So Yeah, I'll just and let you... some of these we've kind of covered a little bit already. I'll just let you take it from there, man. Um, so what was the greatest learning curve for you as you started growing this new crop? I would have to say <coughs> just learning the, the plant itself, you know. Uh, it's not as easy as one would think to grow it. Um, because, you know, there, there's a lot of myths out there about, you know, hemp. And one of them is, you know, it doesn't take a lot of water. You're right. It doesn't take a lot of water, but you got to have water there. It doesn't take as much as corn, but right. it's, it definitely takes more than wheat. Right. And then the other, the other myth is uh, it's pest resistant. And as we talked earlier, that, that's definitely not true. Uh, because you can have all kinds of worms and aphids and mites and, you know, you name it and you can have them. Um, so that and the management of said pests was probably the biggest learning curve for me. Sarah? Hmm. I, you know... I like to grow things. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, I was really looking into being a horticulture therapist. 
that was kind of my goal in life. So um, I really like to grow things. My favorite part of it is actually the germination of the seeds in the um, from seed, you know, um, to those plants. The biggest um, learning curve, honestly, probably for me, was time management in the whole thing. Um, just because of us working full-time jobs, then the farming, and still trying to do family life. You know what I mean? Yeah. As a, as a mom and... Um, so the time management of me and, um, personally what I had to give up to make this real and work. So that's probably a little bit different answer than most people would give. Yeah. Yeah. I I was definitely expecting something like the banks wouldn't take our money. So we're just deciding. (laughs) Yeah. And that definitely definitely went a a really cool way. That was an awesome answer. Yeah. I mean, that was... That was tough, like not being able to use a bank there for a while. Well, we still can't use a bank. Yeah. We can only use a credit we union. We can't even use a bank for <clears throat> the retail side of things. Yeah. So not being able to get loans, this and that, was tough to start. Yeah, more on those barriers to entry we were talking about last time. Right. Yeah, that and then, honestly, like the biggest learning curve when it comes to growing for me, I think, was the soil health. You know, there's just so much to learn there that it's just, you know, I feel like we're barely scratching the surface on what we know now. And I think, I think we're getting there, but it's, we still got a long ways to go before we're actually have the soil where we need it kind of thing. So. Cool. What you got for the next question? Next question. That they're going to ask you. What has been your biggest aha moment? Uh, For me, it was when, uh, after that first year grow, and I stepped outside in January and saw probably a hundred hemp plants that were sprouting uh, in January because <laughs> we'd swept the, the seeds out of our, our shed and they were just out there in that in a sandy gravelly uh, area and it, there was snow on the ground uh, and and I looked down and I saw all these little sprouted hemp plants that were about an inch tall. And I'm like, they survive at that temperature. So to me, that was an aha. I mean, so then we start thinking about being able to start earlier in the season without having to heat our greenhouses. You know? So so it seemed like it kind of proved the, the plant's resiliency, maybe not yeah. necessarily as much to bugs, right. but maybe to a little bit more of the environmental conditions. Yeah. Conditions. Yeah. I, I think, uh, and we went on to do a little bit of an experiment on... Uh, plants, we, we planted six seeds, no, 12 seeds. Can't remember six or 12, but anyway, we did half in our heated greenhouse and half in, in the, the unheated greenhouse. And, uh, the ones that went out into the greenhouse that were, was not heated actually looked like better plants than the ones that were inside in the heat. Did you have any data to support as far as, did you take it through the process for like no. distillate no. or anything like no. that. No, okay. we ended up killing off those plants. But it was amazing how we would walk out in the mornings when it was freezing cold in this unheated greenhouse, and they they looked like they were dead. I mean, they were just all wilted, droopy and just saggy. Droopy, and you thought, oh my gosh, we just killed them. And then the sun would come out; it'd warm up in there. We'd come home from work, and we'd walk in there, and they were like nothing ever was happy. wrong. Yeah. It was kind of amazing. And it was 20 degrees a couple of those nights. Mm-hmm. 
and they were a foot tall. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So. so that that was kind of my aha. I got you. Yeah. How about you ask the next question, and then I'll I'll turn it off so you can fix your mic. My biggest aha moment was uh, when we uh, started growing on our own and didn't have partners to deal with, and how much easier it got <laughs> for us to get things done and to make decisions. That was my biggest aha moment. You gotcha. have one, Sarah. My aha moment. Um. Well, probably just that there's so many different ways to skin a cat. And I mean, the same thing comes true when, when you're growing or farming, probably anything. You go ask a farmer and a farmer's going to tell you, this is the way to do it. You walk, you know, two miles down the road and another farmer's going to say, no, this is the way you do it. Well, it's the same thing with hemp. When we were doing all of our research on what we needed to do, when we needed to trim, what soil we needed to use... I mean, so many, so many different ways to do it out there. And I don't know that one's right and one's wrong. It's what's right for you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Next question. Next question. What has been the hardest part to navigate over the past three growing seasons? I would say one of the hardest things, uh, like going back to earlier, is finding a trustful, like, one of the, our biggest struggles the first year was finding seed. It took a while because it had to be certified seed. They ended up changing that. We were able to get seed easier. But finding people you trust in the industry and someone who can answer the phone and that kind of thing, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that you just you can't get a hold of, you know. I mean, it took us four months to get our crap out of Colorado because we couldn't get a hold of anybody out there. So, I mean, that was one of the biggest things is finding trustful sources to do business with and bounce ideas off of and this and that. So. It goes back to your business model again of, you know, I think you're saying it all just in what you've experienced in trying to make your business successful that you realize the importance of that, that customer contact, that one-on-one, that explaining relationship and that and establishing that relationship and that's what's, again, what's fascinating about this medium and why we're doing what we're doing to just get out from behind our devices and establish those relationships in, in so many different ways. I, mean, I feel like that's almost a societal issue that we have nowadays, honestly. Yeah. Like people, you know, I mean, I said, said it in our last podcast about you got to be selfish, take care of yourself first. But it gets to a certain point where, like, people are too selfish and they are like only worried about themselves and their bottom line and they're not worried about how he's affected by that product or how um there's a this there's something wrong with this product and they're not going to do anything about that um to help them or make things right and i don't know i feel like customer service has kind of gone backwards a little bit and we're trying to be on the forefront and trying to be as customer service friendly as we can be so you're saying customer service in general? Yeah. Okay. Not customer service in your company, but just customer service in general is yeah. kind of not, not been on the forefront of companies' yeah. minds. Gotcha. And I think that that's, I mean, that comes from like leadership positions down, you know, I mean, it's mm. not being preached at at the top. And so your people on the front line aren't going to be taking care of the issues like they need to be because they're not being 
told what to do or taught or however that may be. Well, I remember I remember in getting my business degree, you know, business 101 is, you know, take care of your employees and they'll take care of your customers. Yep. And we were talking about some of that on the way here. Again, we just need to put like a microphone in your car and press record <laughs> once I get in the vehicle and then we'll just press stop when we're done here. But uh, of, of the difference between being a boss and being a leader. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is a company culture. I'm kind of seeing uh, some of that in just different places, even in, even in just law enforcement agencies where if you have a leader that's just a quality leader, it trickles down to when a, an officer is dealing with someone on the street because they're going to be more apt to do the job the right way or to treat that person with a little bit more respect because they know that their leader is going to hold them accountable and they're going to not going to tolerate that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I agree, you know, cause again, I'm in a customer service job. The difference between my customer service job and yours is, is that at some point I can say, uh, stop talking or you go to jail, but yeah. you know, or you, you know, you can't really do that with your customers. I mean, you could, but probably wouldn't be good for the business model. Right. I feel like that's one thing that Sterling college does well is, their one of their founding principles is servant leadership and i feel like that is i mean to the t something that we try to do i mean we try to be servant leaders yes, or i try to do definitely recommend that business program yeah <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug so, so shameless one of my plug. one of my favorite quotes is from uh a football movie and uh remember the titans mm. and it's attitude reflects leadership you know, and, and that's the truth. You know, if, if your leadership is where it needs to be, everybody else's attitude is going to be the same way. So uh, what, what was the question again? I'm sorry. C- oh. CTE. CTE brain. We went down the rabbit hole. Yeah, we did. We went down the rabbit hole. It I'm happens. just bringing you back. Um, what, what is the hardest part to navigate over the past three growing seasons? Yeah. So okay. either one of you. Well, for me... They're the ones that were doing the contacts and finding the seed dealers and learning the soil. I was doing the paperwork. So I was doing the regulations. And that first year... Writing the license. Yes. Yes. In the, the research plan. And that first year, we had to fingerprint everybody who was even going to come out and pull a weed on the field. In the field. Oh, How many you know? did we do? Like 30 people? Something Goodness like that. gracious. Yeah. Talk about barrier to entry. Yeah. And I mean, not even from a financial standpoint, but just you talked about time management of just getting that many people just to, hey, can you take 5, 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, probably more like an hour or two out of your life to go up, get this done and get this right. taken care of. Right. And wow. not, a, not a, only like having an officer like yourself having to take the time out of their day to fingerprint people to grow hemp when it's perfectly legal. Yeah. You know, like, was it? Lions that said no, or uh, Sterling wouldn't do it. We went to Lions and they sent off Bob. <laughs> Don't you look went, at me like that. <laughs> no, you went to Lions and they did you, but no, then this, they were not wrong. The first year, right? The, but this the first year we had HPD come out to the church to the church and did, and we had two groups of us. It was our group and Mark's group uh, that came in and and we fingerprinted forty people that day. Yeah. Um, and the and second the second year we went into the courthouse here and it I mean it went relatively well it did but yeah. I mean they didn't really care to do it you could tell yeah. <laughs> it was just and a pain in the ass for right. like I said when you work in government you have no incentive to be competitive or to have customer service or anything like that because you have a monopoly yeah <laughs> everybody has to come to you right and, and, and also back on that subject I apologize no, it's okay. um, 
So I used to fingerprint because I worked in a jail. So I was like really good at it. But it's like any um, any skill like that, you have to do it all the time. Because when you roll someone's fingerprint, it's not just like put it down. You know, it's like it's like the actual rolling of it. And there is like a, a an art to it. Yeah. And I wasn't doing it enough. And we were we were actually doing it for the schools where I was like, yeah, sure, I'll make that an easy process. So I, I would go to the school each year and I would fingerprint the teachers. And so if there, if, if whatever teachers needed their licenses that year, there was a day that I was going to be there. If you wanted it done, you better be there that day. Well, my fingerprint cards started getting sent back because they weren't, you know, readable. So we kind of started sending them up to the, to the jail in Rice County was kind of where the closest like fingerprint reader was because if they mess that up, push a button and start over again. Oh, mess that up, push a button. And it also will tell you on the fly the quality of the fingerprint on a one to 100 scale. So uh, that's why you probably got told no. If that was three years ago, that was probably under Derek's tutelage. Well, this, this one was for this year's license, which would have been about a year ago now that I went in to get my fingerprints done up at, at Rice County. Yeah, but you were the only one this yeah. year that had to do it. That, the, that was also in the middle of COVID, too. Yeah. 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 If, you, yeah. if you ever have problems with that again and you want to go to Rice County, I can get it done. Just let me know. All right. <laughs> I'll get you taken yeah. care of. Go yeah. me up. So for me, it was the paperwork, the regulations, you know, the jumping through all the little hoops when what we knew, you know. With I, the research program and writing all the questions and doing the project. And then and, filing reports. And we still have to file reports. Every farmer has to file reports. So I don't worry so much about that. But, you know, it's just, it's not been the same. It's changed, which I'm grateful for a lot of the changes, you know, that have taken place. It's just reading and relearning and jumping through those hoops for something that it's not going to get you high. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Well, but I think that some of those, um, you know, in, in the realm of what, what I've been trained, you know, when I told you before we started that one of the la- one of the last trainings I went to talked about some of the Delta 8 and CBD products being the bathtub gin, which is not something I align with, by the way, uh, just seeing what, what all you do, but is some, I think some of that regulation is to kind of help. I was, like I said, in the last podcast, when you go to Dylan's and you take an acetaminophen, you know, you're getting 200 milligrams of acetaminophen or even you talked about, there were times that, you know, that there are people that are, you know, how do you know that you're truly getting, you know, a thousand milligrams or whatever. So, I mean, but that's not something, that's not something that's regulated for y'all right now. The, is the it? hemp industry is not, or for the CBD. So if you put a thousand milligrams on the bottle, there's nobody saying that thou shalt show, you know, that you have that. But that's just something you took on personally yeah. as a and as a brand thing that we want ours to be something you can trust. Minimum of a thousand. It gotcha. is not right at a thousand. It is a thousand or just barely over. So we're not going to put it to where it's lower than a thousand, but it's a thousand or just a few milligrams over it. Just the simplicity of mixing, yeah. mixing a back, batch of 50, you know, I mean, just you're never going to get that right, right on. Yeah. Sorry. But it's I always going to be bigger. higher. It's not, you're never going to get gypped. Okay. I kind of took you down a rabbit hole on that one. Did you have some? Well, some... I, for me, my biggest hurdle in all this has been uh, just building the infrastructure, you know, um, because there was greenhouses to build and then uh, figuring out where were we going to build it. Um the fields, you know, where we were going to plant, how we were going to farm it, 
you know, there, there were so many things that, you know, you just had to, how you were going to get the roller from busy bee to your house. Right. (laughs) And, you know, and and that's just part of it. I mean, there's so many hurdles in it all, you know, from regulatory to, to the actual farming of it itself. So, so you feel like, uh, sorry, I know this isn't one of the questions, but do you feel like the barriers to entry in Kansas are reasonable? I don't, I don't think there's much wrong with them anymore. Originally they were tough. I mean, originally we couldn't even get seed because they were so high. Okay. Like we could not find certified Kansas seed. It wasn't there. It was didn't exist. Yeah. And so like we couldn't find seed the first year. So we ended up planting way late. We planted like July 20th or something like that is when we finally planted. I mean, it was like July 22nd. When would you normally plant if if you, everything aligned? Into May. Okay. Yeah. Early June. Yeah. Yeah. We planted late this year. We thought it was really late, and it was like June twentieth. Yeah, we wanted, but we wanted to be done. Uh, we wanted to have it in the ground in in May, uh, but the mouth set us back. Right. Yeah. yeah. Set us back about a month because it takes a little time for those plants to to get to a certain height to be able to plant them. Do we like keep... to plant them like three to four weeks is where we try to get them out of the tray. Um, so in my limited time working for a farmer. I asked one time because we, we cut seed wheat was like some of the last stuff that we would cut and then he would store in bins and then that's what he would plant for the next year's crop. And he was talking about how every so number of years the you know propensity for it to germinate or whatever goes down. So do you do y'all just buy what you know you're going to need or just in case something like that happens, did you have stuff on hand that you could like – plant or did you have to go buy more or is that a is that a hard process so we, or? we bought was it 1500 seeds this year those 1500 seeds gone mouse um but we had probably 3000 leftover seeds from the previous year that we planted and we've still probably got some of those but thousand so. or so leftover seeds then we'll probably plant next year again and then we'll order some more but genetics. we did we did end up uh, getting more from from the supplier. Yeah, uh, he sent us another five hundred seeds to uh, help us out. Cool. That was Heath, the the extractor. Nice. Because we actually we didn't plant all the seeds to start with. Right. We planted most of them. The mouse got them. We replanted, and we had bad germination rate. And we we had like I don't know like twenty twenty plants would come up per tray. And so then at that point, we're like, okay, well, there's an issue with the seed too. And so we talked to Heath and he sent us some more seeds. So, yeah, which is, which is another problem, another hurdle. Uh, you know, he talked about seed and finding, uh, a dealer, but finding the right seed too, uh, because, you know, the germination rate on this stuff was, was horrible. Uh, the stuff that we'd gotten in the past was great, phenomenal, 97%, uh, germination rate. Uh, but I've heard of of a lot worse. Sounded like Donald Trump right there. <laughs> oh. Are you just trying to start? The, uh, oh, oh, the, there's the instigator. There's the instigator <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah, that's the instigator right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He derailed. He derailed you. Yeah. So anyway, that but finding finding a, a quality seed is is uh, hard to do. Um, it's not really hard to do, but you know you don't know what you're getting until. The end of the season. That's so, where it comes. You got to find someone you trust. Right. Because they could have been selling me a marijuana seed. Yeah. I wouldn't know it until I go to get tested. <laughs> this, and then the would you would you be out. in trouble, like, per se, if if it ended up being like that? No. Uh, 
as long as you were just upfront with them and, and, you know, you were, you gave them the right paperwork and, you know, you were being, you know, legit. As long as you were compliant the whole time. and Yeah, yeah but if it was actually marijuana, I mean, if you go over a certain percentage on the testing, they can charge they can, you with a felony. It would be Bob because Bob would be the license. <laughs> yeah. Licensee. You said that's 25% so. THC? No, notice how no one else got their fingerprints done, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um so again, I guess just battling some of those other misconceptions. Then, so you you, you all grow no marijuana no. on on the property, then, no, no, right? Zero. And then if you if you do test, like say say your hemp plants do test over, are you required to destroy those? Yeah, we had originally to, we were. Yeah, last year we had to mow over an acre or mow it down uh, because it tested at what was it point three four or three seven somewhere in there. Point three seven. Yeah. Legal limit is point three. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So. yeah. And in the state of Kansas, they came out and they watched us do it. And he he made sure that we were not leaving big pieces in the field. He would walk like the stuff we'd already mowed, and if he saw a big bud, he'd throw it back out in front of the mowers. And you can't blame him. That that's him doing his job. Uh, I will say that working with Braden has been uh, a great great experience. He's he's always treated us fair and. And KDA overall has been... They want the farmers yeah. to succeed, but, yeah. I mean, their hands are tied, obviously. Like, they're not the ones making the regulations in the, the beginning. They're just enforcing them for the most part. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. And, and and I think he's been supportive of the industry overall. Yeah. This year, we didn't have anything go hot. So, yeah. But they had also um, changed mm-hmm. some of those regulations to for where... For the if better. It, yes. If it did go hot, we had we could go ahead and cut it we had 60 days then to get it um get remediated the... down to legal limit when the, and so what's that process like i hope to never find out <laughs> basically the kda like i think they kind of take control of it and take it to our extractor and then heath would essentially just take the thc out in the process of co2 extraction which is an interesting thought process to think that he can extract thc and then possess it i mean unless of course they're standing there and i'm taking i'm sure there's got to be some kind of destruction you know protocol yeah i mean it's, it's just from from my standpoint like could you imagine it as a law enforcement, law enforcement officer walking in, it's like oh hey look what you have hmm. you know i mean of course i'm hoping there's more questions than that asked yeah but uh but what's your next question um <laughs> if you could change one thing about the commercial industrial hemp program at the federal level what would it be banking that's up there i was gonna say um i think banking's like in the works it just hasn't caught up yet yeah um thc level yeah i i could see that too moving it to total thc one percent total thc something rather than 0.3 but since they made it to where we can remediate it remediate it out but also like if you could get it to one percent we could have plants that had 18 20 percent cbd in them instead of just 12 i think for me probably is being able to tell people the benefits of cbd because you can't advertise it you know um because it's not regulated by the fda they don't want you going out and saying we can't make any claims on medical benefits this and that you know, the FDA is so trustworthy. They told us that smoking was fine. Everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would rather, 
you know, trust like you that have been there, done that and experienced it. But you also don't tout it as it's going to be the end all be all. And yeah. also to consult with a physician, somebody that is that is qualified to help you make your medical decisions. Um, but it's 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 interesting. Um, all the, the hoops and things that you have to go through has been absolutely fascinating. Is there uh, who else wants to answer anything? Well, well, mine was banking, and and the biggest reason why is because we've we've struggled with trying to figure out different aspects of our business uh, yeah. through through banking, and probably more on the retail side with credit card processing and that kind of thing than on the other right. side. Well, in operating loans, you know, we we you know we're self funded, uh, and you know that hurts sometimes, especially when it's time to reorder inventory and things like that and 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 then taking a credit card can can be a big issue you know our online site it has been delayed for a long time and partially from our own uh ignorance i guess uh but uh and and it was simply because we couldn't find a way to take a payment yeah yeah most people just take it for granted that you show up and you pull out the plastic and swipe it or insert it yeah. or have them type it in and you walk out with your product. But when the law says thou shalt not and credit card companies hold you to that well, see, or that, processing, I should say processing company. So the most frustrating part for me on that is, is it, it is federally legal, you know? So there's no reason outside of its, its, uh, I guess kinship with marijuana that well, doesn't the verbiage read something along the lines of money from drug proceeds? Like, isn't that kind of where the I would I would guess I don't, I've never looked at the law to be honest with you, um, but I can tell you that you know once once it was legally legalized federally, you know that that should take any of the questions out of the hemp. Yeah, you know if you can prove it's hemp, which we can. Uh, What's the problem? So, so you talked about moving money into a credit union was kind of the only way you were able to really do any banking. Can you get loans from the credit union then? No. Oh man. No, and we and we even have to be a little bit careful on that too, hmm. because they are still federally backed. Crop insurance has been another tough one too, because mm-hmm. it's tied in with the government and wants uh, um. I don't know. We just, so we had some crop insurance. There's been offers and like we were able to get um, some COVID relief for being a hemp farmer, especially crop, but it was like $15 an acre is what we get paid. <laughs> like, and, yeah. And, and we're at $6,000 an acre just put it in. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> like, so, well, I guess we'll use this 30 bucks and go buy a 30 pack of Keystones. <laughs> You're still working hard on that, uh, on that uh, sponsorship there. Yeah, that's what Cade's reaction to the first one was. He said, You're trying to get a sponsorship from Keystone, aren't you? Yeah, if, anybody, if anybody from Keystone Lights working or listening, excuse me, then uh, contact Nate. His uh, email's on the website. That's all we, we drink. All we drink at the farm, Keystone Light. Yeah, we're stoners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wow. Is, is, is that all there was on the questions? Um, I think there's one or two more. Um, where do you see the industry headed in Kansas? 
Hmm. Well, talking, I, talking about the hemp. Yeah. I, as far as hemp goes, I, I think Kansas is going to be more of the fiber grain side of things. Uh, the CBD side is, is going to dwindle to, to smaller quantities. I don't know if it'll get much smaller than it is right now, I'll be honest with you, because there's not that many CBD farmers out there. But when the bigger farmers uh, start trying to do this, the seed fiber varieties, uh, it's going to make it tougher on us because they're going to have male plants in their fields. So, you know, that, that's going to be a hurdle for us and them uh, in the future. Can you control some of that with like the greenhouse? Uh, there's a possibility. There's ways that you can filter. So we may end up having to invest in, in some filtering type of areas in our in our greenhouse for air intake and you, i'm sure you'll be able to get a loan to help pay for that yeah right yeah, yeah right i'm sure that's also a cheap remediation process too <laughs> i'm sure it is <laughs> they they also have a um bred plants that cannot take on male pollen so they don't get pollinated and don't put on seeds yeah that's where i want to go they're expensive <laughs> Which I'm sure we could get a loan for that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just, uh, just call your rich uncle and right. you know, have that taken care of. Yep. Okay. The last, you, last you question. You didn't let your mom. So. What was that? Um, where do you see the industry headed in Kansas? Well, I agree with Bob that I think a majority of it's going to be the the seed and fiber side. I mean, fiber. most of our farmers here in Kansas are set up for that style of farming already. And it just, I mean, it just makes sense, you know, not only fiber, but the grain side, you know, extracting the oils and this and that for ethanol use and that kind of thing. So I think it's just going to eventually fit right in with your corn, um, corn rotations on pivots and that kind of thing. I do want to add a little bit to the mind too. I do think that, that we're going to see Kansas, uh, pass, medical marijuana legislation. And and so I, I think that's another area of growth potential in this state. And 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 I think that'll be a pretty big business for the state if if they allow it. I'm sure the barriers to entry on that'll be super reasonable yes, when it first yeah, comes out as well. I'm sure of that. <laughs> I guess I guess we've been jumping through hoops long enough that it we can jump through a few more if, if we so choose to go that route. Builds character. Right? <laughs> you know, I taught you something. <laughs> um, did you, Nate, did you have anything on that? Or did you comment already? Uh, I try not to listen to you. I mean, I, I, I just agree with them. It's going to be the fiber and the grain is where it's really going to take over the Kansas market. And it says nationwide, too. I mean, really, I think in the long run, I think the fiber and grain is going to be what a majority of hemp farmers are farming for. Because it's just agriculture in general that is what they're set up for and eventually i mean there's going to be more of a need for ethanol products plastics fibers textiles than there is going to be for cbd products there's still going to be a a demand for cbd but it's not going to be equal to for fiber and plastic yeah well what happens if you the fda does finally sign off on what it does do you think that would affect at least i mean you would then have the ability to say but then would that make it a little more desirable i think so i mean i was reading today i think new york just passed 
think it was New York, just passed a bill to where now they can actually put it in food products, CBD and in drinks. And I think California. California has passed something like that, you know. Um, they've kind of taken the steps that the FDA should have been taken. They just did it on a local level, state yeah. level. I mean, yeah. So I think that that opportunity for growth for, for the wellness and the health um, is there. Um, it's just got to come to but it's going to be i mean to grow cbd on a large scale has got to be something different than how we do it you know i think that that's something that needs to be passed on to our our leadership if nate can find a way to put it in there is the fact that these other states are starting to move on on the fda's lack of movement uh and and we could do the same thing in the state to help free up our our cbd industry in this state, you know, allow us to, to say, you know, these things can help you with these ailments. Well, and also Maybe we could sell smokable material. Yeah. Yeah. New York. CBD that. flower. Yeah. That's and one the thing. best way to phrase that to a politician would be my guess of, you know, you're also increasing now revenue streams for the state too, because if I can start, you know, selling these things and they become more popular, or I can sell them in different ways or even in drinks or, well, and, you know, and, now I can make, the state more money because obviously all those every one of those transactions is going to be taxed. Right. The issue with drinks is is it is actually so CBD is already in a pharmaceutical drug. What is it called? Epidolics or something like that. It helps with seizures and that kind of thing. And with it being in a pharmaceutical drug, um, it's tough to put it in a product that is like a Coke or a Pepsi, like an everyday product. I can't remember the name of the law or whatever it is but there's some law that says you can't have a pharmaceutical drug in your everyday product but but how's it pharmaceutical when cbd is not even scheduled in any way or whatever because I mean, there's, there's there's one FDA one pharmaceutical fda approved drug that has cbd in it but i think that's isolate so it's the cbd isolate in that drug i think i, I could be wrong but uh, so, but that opens up all the rest of the cannabinoids uh, to be able to go into it. Mm-hmm. But you know, it is still a hurdle. Yeah. Well, and with that comes um, comes security and the fact that the products that are being sold are also being regulated. Right. You know, we talked exactly. about people not knowing what's in the bottles or knowing how they're grown or knowing if there's heavy metals in it. <clears throat> if the states, you know, take control you know, and say, this is what is allowable and this is what you need to do to get there. We would do it in yeah. a heartbeat. We would do it. You know, if I we're mean, we're already. all, yeah, I mean, we're already doing, doing a lot of that stuff, you know, but if, if they would just make it clear cut, you yeah. know, so kind of know. tell you what to do, but also, you know, some of that, again, my philosophy, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an interesting government worker cause I'm, I don't like to get into people's lives unless I have to, you know, anytime you get government involved in something, typically it's going to get more complex and also more expensive to you, which Mm -hmm. then translates down to the customer as well. So, I mean, that might be kind of the, the good thing is, is that you might be able to do that. But then the bad thing, the bad side, because everything's pros and cons Mm -hmm. is that, you know, your products may have to be more expensive just because you've put more into it. Right. Right. To have to do those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's probably worth it. You know, I'm, I'm all about the government staying out of most people's business, but there are some things that, that yeah, I they, agree. they need to be a hundred percent. I'm not trying to say I'm an anarchist or anything. <laughs> sure. So you got, they got another question. 
Um, or was that it? I think there was one more. What trends do you see for the next three years? Um, that's a tricky question because, you know, if I had to say it, I'd say medical marijuana will be, will be, uh, become a viable option for people. I mean, it's obviously going to be legalized, but like, we don't even know if we're going to get into it because like we've said, because of the barriers to entry. But, but I do see on the, on the fiber side, uh, a lot of growth potential, uh, again, you know, with, uh, not only processors, but end product developers, things like that. And, and I think that's where Kansas needs to really support the hemp farmers, uh, is by, uh, being very friendly to people who who want to build the hemp fiber boards or the hemp crete or yeah you know, even just, building houses out of hemp yeah. you know like using the hemp crete and building houses like right. if we got anybody that wants to do that like right. we'll set you up we know the people <laughs> right <laughs> I know a guy and then and then in the, getting into the paper side you know I think that you know I'm gonna sound like a, a pretty strong environmentalist here. But let's face it, you know, it's not going to hurt this this world for us to to move towards hemp as a as our paper supply versus trees. Well, yeah, I mean, you can grow hemp in, in significantly better, higher quantities, and quicker, and yeah, and everything. Yeah, pulls more carbon out of the air. Yeah, yep. Part of that homeostasis. Yep. Yep. Even even the the hemp creep blocks uh, continue to be. Uh, pulling carbon out of the air even after they're installed into a house. So then you can get some of those hemp paper products to put your bath bombs in. Yep. Yeah. I would love to. Yep. Love to. We'd looked. I mean, we looked pretty hard to find uh, stuff made from hemp. We to, can get stuff made stuff from in. hemp. Hemp made in China. <laughs> you know? That's, I that's mean... pretty close to local. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I see it on everything around here. So it's pretty so... close. It's got to be close to local, right? Yeah. Sure, later I'll make it off Kansas. the ship, right? Make it make it to port. <laughs> that's why. That's why when I ordered all this podcast equipment, um, some of this stuff like uh, like the, the mono price, like the headphone amp, uh, it was like ships from China. Nope. <laughs> and, uh, and then it was like this one ships from USA. Yes, <laughs> ships yeah. from USA. Yes, because I didn't yeah. I didn't want to to get stuck on a boat and then we wouldn't weren't going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, waiting uh, for three months for it to get here. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, like. Because some of that stuff, I was like, oh, no, because I figured, oh, great, you know, that's going to be in, in limbo on a ship for who knows how long, you know, total, just total God thing where everything came together and we got all our stuff. So that was the last question. But one final question I had for, so for people listening, like, what what is this growers panel? Like, how did it come about? What's its intent? And, you know, what, how did you um, get on it? Um, I honestly or don't know how they heard well, about us. So... Um, Braden, uh, and, uh, the person putting this together, uh, had talked and, and Braden recommended us as a, as a person to put on the grower panel. Um, and she just called up and, and said they're putting this together and that Braden said that we might be a good person to, to good people to, to put on this panel and, and asked if we'd be interested. And, and I said, yes, Nate or I, one of us or both would, would be willing to do that and so, so who puts on the growers panel like who's who's hosting the event uh the kansas department of ag okay yeah and and there's there's i think she keeps calling them leadership um but uh there there's a lot of people that are they're looking at uh 
talking to us uh, tomorrow night. I, I think she said 20 people were signed up uh, to to be involved in it for tomorrow night. She's hoping for more, but uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. It's, it's pretty exciting that, that they're actually, you know, wanting to try and engage with the people who are on the ground. Yeah. Right. I think like for the like four or five growers that are on the panel, I think there's only 15 minutes to go over all those questions. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot of time for us to talk. We're going to be listening most of the time. Well, yeah, okay. It's still all right. And that's the cool thing about this medium is you were able to get your two cents and even more's worth. So, if, yeah. you know, you're, and you're probably going to reach more people with something like this than I guess, you know, most people probably aren't watching Kansas department of agriculture. No, uh, the biggest thing for that is the people that are asking that are on the other side of mm. this, uh, because they are going to be, you know, the people that are making the decisions for the state of Kansas. Yeah. So that's always good. That's I think good deal. to, to inform your voters too, that help, uh, vote yeah. for those people that are making those policy sure. decisions to, sure. you know, vote the right way, or at least at the very least send letters the right way. And, did you ask Nate about a tweet he saw today? I did yeah. not. Yeah, I showed it to him. Oh, that that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We uh, my answer to him made his his face turn very red. <laughs> Cuz I told him I could kind of see some of it, but then I could kind of not see some of it. And then when I said that I was like, "Okay, hang on a second. Let me <laughs> let me explain myself before you like kick me out of your truck." <laughs> Okay, okay, so I'm listening. <laughs> just just like your your wife advocated, you know, listening to your doctor and being able to know like what's in it and how it works and what it does and all that from where, where he, I guess just to give whatever, what we're talking about. So everybody that's listening, we all know what we're talking about, but nobody right. else does is, uh, was it Roger Marshall? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roger Marshall had responded to a constituent of some kind. It was blacked out, just basically saying that he did not support the um, the decriminalization of medical marijuana or marijuana in mm-hmm. general. And he basically cited that as a doctor, he didn't feel that the science was there to support that yet. And he kind of wanted to be able to say that once, once the science helped backed it, and he was kind of there. And I was kind of like, okay, I can kind of see that. And it's kind of along the same lines of what you said when it came to going to your doctor and wanting to know that. But I think it's it's no fault of the doctors that this hasn't been done. I mean, they don't know what they don't know. And they're obviously worried about, even though he's not worried about getting sued, but other doctors are worried about it through malpractice or whatever in our litigious world about saying those things. So that part made sense to me. But the part that doesn't make sense to me is methamphetamine is a schedule two drug and you can get methamphetamine from your doctor. It's, it's called desoxin and you look on the bottle and it says methamphetamine right on the bottle. And so anybody that has two brain cells to rub together can take a look at the cannabis plant in general. And it, it just, it just boggles my mind that you can walk into a store and I can buy enough alcohol to kill myself, but you can't go in and, you know, and, and be able to, to do cannabinoids that may help you and, right. and, and I'm, I even non-psychoactive ones. And so that's the part that I struggle with. So what I was getting at was I understand where he's talking about of the science. Cause I think we all kind of agree on some of that of being able to say FDA, whatever that, yes, this is exactly what it does and how it works with other medications. But the flip side of the coin is, is that, um, you know, we can, we can 
take methamphetamine prescribed by our doctor, um, which we've all seen what that can do. Um, right. I'm sure you've had some things maybe missing from your farm as a result of methamphetamine, but and but uh, we can't we can't do a plant that's naturally gone. That's the part that kind of doesn't make sense, and also where I'm kind of a, a weird law enforcement officer because. I don't always side on the same side that uh, that everybody else does when it comes to when it comes to cannabis in my line of work. Yeah, my my thing. What I told Bob about it is, I said there is research out there. You know, the lack of somebody wanting to go find that research or wanting to understand it can be the problem because there's such a huge stigma behind it. Still, people have a mental block, and that was. Why are you giving me that look? Because you know I'm not just... Re- There's okay. parallels here. There might be some parallels. <laughs> but I had a mental block about CBD in general at one point in time, you know, and marijuana and medical marijuana. Um, but through education of myself and me taking the time to do it, I've been able to kind of understand things differently. Well, yeah, but the difference is, is that I think you're, you're, you're goal oriented where nobody's lobbied him. Yeah. No, I mean, he's got, let's face it at the end of the day, he's got a million irons in the fire of people coming to him saying, do this, do that, pass this, pass that. Um, and I'm sure that there are some people that have some more powerful people that have, have the ear, but just to let everybody that's listening know. So the letter is from Senator Roger Marshall for the state of Kansas. And the, the letter reads, dear, and then the person's blacked out. Thank you for taking the time to contact me regarding the legalization of marijuana. As your voice in Washington, it is important. I know your thoughts and concerns. Your feedback is vital to the legislative process and my ability to work for you in Congress. I am not a supporter of legalizing marijuana and... As a physician, believe it would be detrimental to public health and society in general. Although I do not support the legalization of marijuana, I would support more clinical research being performed, especially regarding illnesses in children. I need to serve more. I need to see more clinical evidence on the safety and effectiveness of marijuana before even considering its legalization. Although we disagree on this issue, I appreciate hearing from you. Uh, thank you for contacting me and basically kind of just. Uh, tells the reader how to to make contact with him and then he signs it roger marshall md united states senator so that's what we're that's what we're currently discussing so i mean uh i mean i'm not gonna disagree i mean you know like you can disagree with me that's perfectly acceptable i'm not gonna disagree with like (laughs) we need more research you know we can there's always more research to be done and it's there's nothing wrong with adding more research to this product you know i mean it's my opinion, it's only going to show how much better the plant yeah, can be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, please, please, by all means, please increase my profitability. Well, the biggest questions <laughs> I have in all that is how is how is uh, detrimental to public health? How how is marijuana detrimental to public health? So the thing that um, it, again, and keep in mind the trainings that I've been to mm-hmm. are are law enforcement trainings. Mm-hmm. So again. Feel free to disagree with me because yeah. I am totally cool with that. Sure I'm totally to learning. But <laughs> where they the, call Delta Eight the bathtub gin yeah. of cannabinoids. <laughs> um, well, that and CBD. Yeah. But um, one of the one of the things they were talking about that they kind of have been lesson learning with um, with Colorado when Colorado was kind of the Wild West was they were finding out that when they were putting it in things like say uh, gummies. And kids saw those gummies and then they were like 
eating the entire bag of gummies. And there's actually a, a paper I was reading that cited cause of death was cannabis. But it was actually it was actually um, uh, uh, something something tachycardia brought on by cannabis intoxication or something like that where the pericardium around the, the kid's heart had gotten big and then the heart was pumping too fast trying mm-hmm. to keep up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was right. um, some of the things that, um, you know, were kind of being cited, I guess, as the public health issues. And then you have people that, like for me, amazingly enough, I legitimately never have tried any type of a cannabinoid. Um, I guess I have used a CBD balm on my shoulder when it hurt once. That's That's it. But as far as like any type of... Anything that I've ingested, I've never done anything like that in any way. Um, smoking, swallowing, anything. So uh, people like me were getting like the shatters and the butters that were like nine, high 90s percent pure THCs. And they're finding that it's causing um, like paranoia. And people were like, you know, jumping in front of trains just to put a word to it. Um, so there was people that were seeking medical attention more as a result of that. And then of, of the high concentrations and the lack of, I guess, studies and education and people knowing what they were getting into because people would get like the cookie. And like you were talking about in your tinctures, as far as like, you know, they tell you to kind of cut the cookie into certain specific portions and people were either a not doing that and eating the whole thing or, uh, they would take one and they would like, oh, I don't want to wait the 15 minutes it's, or 45 minutes. It's not working. Well, another one, another one, another one, another one. And before you know it, they're with doing half of that. And now I'm freaking out. Now I'm calling, you know, the ambulance and now police are having to respond. And now I'm having to go to a hospital and now I'm having to be treated and I may not have insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's maybe where the public health side of it comes from is maybe just a lack of understanding and education maybe not so much that the cannabis itself is unhealthy but when you talk about a public health standpoint you're talking about the public in a whole just generalizing and also maybe what it what it brings down on the system okay kind of like the same way you know oxycodone and all that kind of stuff was a public health crisis right well i mean but you could say the same thing about you know kids that find their dad's gun and shoot somebody Mm -hmm. you know that that kind of stuff just happens, you know, we're not going to ban guns because, because one kid did that, you know, or 10 kids did that. It, it, to me, it's really more, uh, it, we can't look at the little, little picture. We got to broaden it out. And that's pretty narrow focused when, when we start picking certain cases out in, 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 if this has happened on, on a huge scale, sure. I get that. I get it. Comparatively speaking, though, like um, cannabis in general, like how many people have died from cannabis compared to certain pharmaceutical drugs that are out there? You know, I mean, if you look at those numbers, it's going to blow your mind away, probably. Yeah, you're or not even gonna, alcohol. You, yeah, you're not going to get me to disagree with that. <laughs> you know, so so to to say that that's going to create a, a public health problem. I, I I completely disagree with that, especially when he's the one prescribing those medicines, or he had been in the past, you know. Yeah. Well, so. that, and that's why I'm also hesitant when it came to like the FDA signing off on things too, because it's like, you know, they the the pharmaceutical companies and the FDA signing off on like oxycodones, Percocets. Oh, they're completely safe and and non addictive, and now here we are. 
I mean, and everybody knows like that's common knowledge. That's not, that's not up for debate. That's not a, should you do it? Shouldn't you do it? Like it's a, it's a well-known thing. And, uh, and so that's, that's why it's like, um, like there needs to be more studies, but I think what I like is, um, the independent idea of it where you guys have tangible things through people. Cause the doctor, in my opinion, is kind of just regurgitating what they've been told either by a pharmaceutical company representative or like a brochure from the FDA or something that they've read. Yeah. Something they've read, something like that. Whereas you guys have tangible through your experiences um, of tangible times where you've talked to people and you never have in this whole like two hours and can you believe 25 minutes that we've been at this ever like said that it was a cure-all end-all be-all like stop breathing oxygen this is the only thing you need but you have the ability to say this is what it's done for me and this is what it's done for some of our customers and that i trust personally more so so the way i like to to look at cbd uh is exactly that you know i'm not going to tell anybody it's going to cure what you got but there's a chance that it that it will help you significantly um and, and it may not help you at all because everybody's different everybody reacts different to different things different you know pharmaceutical drugs uh, you know just anything in life <coughs> people react differently to it um, so yes you're right um, has there been cases out there that we've heard of um, that that talk about the the curing of different things yeah it's out there but you know it, it's it's something that they need to figure out well one thing I'd like to say about when you think in terms of something cure, being cured you, you think in terms of not having to take medication or something. I mean, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, like, right. while CBD is the only thing that I'm on at this point in time for my um, autoimmune arthritis, it didn't cure me. If I get off of CBD, this I guarantee my arthritis is going to be back and it's going to be hurting. So yeah, it's, you're receiving it's, a therapeutic dose of something that's of something helping. that's helping. Yeah. It's it's helping relieve my symptoms. It is not. It did not cure me. No, yeah. with with very no to little very little side effects. This is yeah. something like we want to try and do is like have people come in and give their testimony, and we want the product to speak for itself, essentially. You know, and I think for the most part we've done a pretty good job of that, and not. Not pushing hard, saying this this is a cure all kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I know that my my wife has um, tried CBD because she was hit by a car when she was like ten, and she's had a lot of back issues and stuff since then, um, as well as just general pain, joint pain, that kind of stuff. And it's not something that's ever really worked for her. I mean, and so I have to agree with there are times when like when you said that some people it works, some people it doesn't, mm-hmm. and and I even bought some of your stuff and took it home and was like see hey see if this see if this helps you and it wasn't something that really worked mm-hmm. um so she's you know having to explore other options mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. and my question how much did she take what is it that you sold me i don't remember selling you anything so <laughs> this is the body butter cte uh no you sold it to me at the open house you got it from in the house was no, it, it was- a dropper yeah, 
I don't, I don't remember. I think oh. it was 2,000 milligrams. Yeah, okay. the tincture. Okay. Do you know how much she was taking? I think she was taking one or two droppers, maybe. Okay. Okay. Like a full? Day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not like drops. But okay. Like, yeah. Um, okay. And then she experienced, she experimented with like one of the day, one at night, two during the day, two at night, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, and kind of just, just trying different ways and, you know, or even helping. Cause I was telling her, it's, it's not like a, uh, it's, I've, I've been told it's not like a Tylenol where you like take it and then, right, you know, you no. kind of, it's kind of more of like a, a maintenance thing mm-hmm. that you, you get it mm-hmm. into your system. Your body's able to then use it and process it and, and do what needs to be done. It's not like I got a headache. Boom. Now my headache's gone. Right. right. Um, and, so she was experimenting it, with different ways to do that. <coughs> yeah. And, and you know, it is not one of those things that's going to help with everything. <coughs> you know, it's a, it's a great anti-inflammatory. So if her pain would have been caused from maybe inflammation, you know, but it's not going to help bone on bone pain or, yeah, say, that's, you know, that's severe. That's what she's got going on. Yeah. yeah. So it's. Right. It is not a cure-all. Mm-hmm. Nope. It definitely isn't. I think we're at a pretty good stopping point there. Okay. Um, you know, for, for everybody who's listening again, thank you for taking the time to be here with us. I'm starting to like, I'm ran out of water. Um, you know, thank you, Bob and Sarah for being here with sure. us and joining Glad us on this it. journey. <clears throat> Will you finish? Because yeah. I'm not gonna, let me have your some of your water. Thank you guys for coming on, and uh, we uh, we appreciate it. I'm sure you'll be on sometime again. We could talk about the vaccine then, or something. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll get really divisive, right? Yeah. We'll make we'll make sure we make sure we got everything bolted down. So right. the table flips or anything like that. We're you guys want to hear me get roasted by my mom? You guys need to tune into that one. <laughs> Well, and, and again, uh, be sure to whatever medium you're listening to the podcast on, give us a rating and a review. And if it sucked, tell us it sucked. And if it uh, was great, tell us that as well. And we're, of course, open to anything or any questions you may have. Uh, our website's thehigherpoints.com. Our Facebook is also The Higher Points. And then Instagram is at The Higher Points. And uh, Nate Slacken, and we don't have a Twitter yet. So, uh, But we will eventually have those uh, social media mediums out there. So... Don't hesitate to reach out to us um, if you have any questions or anything you want to add or any way we maybe misspoke about anything and you want to share some of the science that we were talking about that that uh, maybe uh, shows some things. We would also love to hear any of that. So uh, with that, I guess we'll sign off. So appreciate everybody being here. Thanks again, Bob and Sarah. And we'll see catch you guys next time.